Um, I have a couple things in the beginning. I don't know if you saw any of, I want to say that article part so we get a few more people in. I want them to be able to hear a couple of those details. I think they'd be quite interested. Yeah. Um, I, I uh, was watching, obviously there's some YouTube accounts that uh, do nice content. And um, one of the ones, now it wasn't so much of a, a breakdown of the videos with Squirrel. I don't know if you're aware. He's got a big account, and he makes really nice, really nice stuff. And last night, he had, or maybe three days in a row, he had landing on water, icy conditions, and VFR night flying. Today, I watched, but I think I'm a day behind, he had a multiplayer video. By any chance, did you see the multiplayer video from him? He had a castrator on it, and one other gentleman, I don't know who it was, but they did some bush flying around... Hope, British Columbia, in the X Cub, and it was absolutely amazing. The scenery was unbelievable, and it just looked like so much fun. I don't know if you saw that video. If you haven't, for sure check it out because it was a Hello? lot of fun. Hello, how are you? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it, it's great to see it. Uh, at least where we're seeing, the, you know, the different people that use flight simulators for different things. Uh, be brought up onto that program. So you can see all these different things that you would not expect to see at first. So yep. that's that's part of it. Ah, we have this, we have the dreaded one minute slow mode. I was <laughs> trying to say hello to everybody and welcome. If you have any questions, go ahead and type those if you're not able to speak or if we have the mics muted for the moment. Um, you can put your questions in event text. I will oh, answer them, but we are slow mode, so yeah, it will take me a little uh, bit of time. Kodama, I put it to around like 20 seconds, maybe. That should be enough. Yeah, I was going to ask if you want me to lower it um, till yeah, you could. maybe it gets busier, and then I can always increase it if we need to. Yep, that would be Easy. nice. Thanks. Easier to answer. Yeah. Go ahead, uh, Cookie. Yeah, so... Um... Welcome to the few people that join us. Uh, I do understand this is not our normal time for uh, for podcasts. Uh, today's kind of a special day for a lot of different reasons. Um, but uh, thanks a lot for joining us. Uh, this is podcast. We haven't found a name yet. We're we're working on them. Uh, there's some pretty interesting ones as well that we've uh, that we've uh, come up with. So we'll try to get that soon. Definitely. Yeah. Um, this is a podcast which relates to the simulator uh, and the speculations, talk about it. We're looking, you know, going through analysis and kind of understanding, you know, everything about the simulator uh, as well as what's working behind it, as well as connecting that with hardware and software. So uh, if you like any of these things, uh, the, that's what we love talking about. Uh, so You're in the right place. Exactly. So today we have a is... lot of stuff. Exactly. You want to get going, Farail? No, I'm just saying there's so much, there's so much content that came out. It's kind of funny. From week to week, we had a little bit where we would uh, have the show on a Thursday, the updates are on a Thursday. It kind of helped give you know something more to discuss, little new details. Now there's so many new details and there's so much new information. It's almost like we don't even know where to begin, right? It's it's like. True, 100 yeah. videos in a week, you know, with hours and hours and hours of footage. It's like, it's like a flood. So we're trying to figure out a few things that we could point out and see if maybe 
people in the community have seen the same things we did, or maybe we've seen something that they've missed or vice versa. So we were just going to discuss some of the videos, and we also uh, found an article that kind of points to the origins of Flight Simulator in this iteration, kind of like, how did it return? And uh, Cookie, what did you think? You, you read the article as well. Yeah. Think of that? Uh, the article is something I think a lot of people should read because despite its length, it is very well written. Uh, so this is an article from The Verge uh, that describes the simulator and a lot of its, uh, well, we could say a lot of its history and, and thoughts around it. So it was written by uh, Sam, Sam Byford uh, at The Verge, and we'll, uh, we'll put a link right now for those interested in event texts. That's the channel right above us. And this article is very interesting because while it doesn't go through in the details of everything, it goes through some very interesting aspects of, of how Microsoft had that passion about the simulate from the beginning and the people that worked on it kept being, you know, thoughtful about the simulator about it because it's, it's something they worked on from the beginning. Um, I love this this article because it kind of shows you a bit of the background about what Microsoft was thinking about the simulator uh, after FSX came out, and of course once they had the the layoffs of Ace's Game Studio, uh, which was the developer uh, studio for FSX. So they, I, I love the fact that they went through it and they kind of showed us the little background, uh, especially when they showed you know kind of like where the idea came from. And more, you know, telling you it's it's always here. It's always in the background. You always have the simulator that's in people's heads, uh, a little round. Uh, even mentioning it in here that it was kind of these these little hallway talks, uh, the kind where uh, people would kind of talk about different things, and the flight simulator would come up uh, from time to time, uh, asking the questions like, what are we going to add? What do we have to say? You know, can we actually make it a meaningful step forward? Uh, so I, I really love that because it kind of showed how, you know, there's always been this idea about the simulator in, in people's minds at Microsoft. And it's one of the biggest projects that Microsoft actually started. That was before Windows or, or even Microsoft Office. So it really was the the heart of, of Microsoft from from the early days on. Uh, and a lot you know of people... What, you, know what's, yep. you know what's interesting about that? Is that line that he says when he's like, well, what, you know, what can we, basically saying, what can we do now? What can we do that's new? What do we have that's, that can change anything that we already have? And that just shows me there's a lot of companies that will just put out, and I think Microsoft done a few little tweaks to things where you're like, well, this is not really a big change for me to buy a whole new version of it. But they seem to be like, listen, we're not really going to do anything if we don't really have something significant, that we really can make a significant difference and really raise the game. So it just kind of showed there that it stayed in everybody's mind. It always lingered. It was a favorite friend. It's something that's been around for so long. But they didn't want to bring it back for the sake of just changing the paint job, so to speak. But everything under the hood is the same. Its benefits and its flaws are basically exactly. the same. You just repackaged it. And it's kind of nice because right there it showed they started with the right kind of mindset. It wasn't, yeah, let's see how we can squeeze more money out of something that's already 15 years old and there's nothing new about it. We'll slap a new 
label on it and everybody will think it's new and we'll make a little bit of money until they figure out it's the same thing. It, they started off with the right the right way of looking at it. Yeah, and that follows its history. We we know that, well, Microsoft and the, the core engine uh, through its different licenses with different companies has not always been very successful. Uh, even the Microsoft Flight uh, that that has uh, kind of gone down in history, uh, not as fond as FSX, uh, for example. So yeah. I, I like it because they, they, they know the past of it and all these people still have it in their minds. And what's amazing about it is then they brought it up uh, and there were, like the idea was there in, in people's minds. It was just waiting for that moment where they understood that they had the tech and they were able to bring more than just a an overhaul of the engine um which is just you know you just recreate everything you make it look a little nicer and that's it they really wanted something new and that actually started with when newman was working on hololens this is why i i think this article is amazing uh for those new that just came in uh the article is in the events text channel uh you can also write your questions in there if you have any and we'll answer those um but Newman was working on a HoloLens project in a demo, which let you know people fly around Rome and the Machu Picchu. So that was that's that's you know it's it's a really cool thing. They're using their proprietary tech, you know, augmented reality, and this is that first step where they started collaborating with with Microsoft Bing Maps, and I think this is this is the connection. As he he mentioned it in the article, um, where you yeah. know they they had that little connection and said, well, there is the simulator. This is something that would be amazing. Now, can we just do this across the entire the planet, planet. Yeah. instead of just that one little pot, little spot? And that's what they did and, essentially, right? And this, um, yeah, they uh, basically it was started in early 2016. For those of you that can't read the article, but Newman basically says, I mean, I've never been to Peru. But it was real to me. And even then, in early 2016 or something, I just thought to myself, man, if we could just do this across the entire planet, wouldn't that be something? And that little sentence right there is really the very tiniest seed of what now, in August of 2020, we're about to see fully realized. That one sentence, that one moment that he had with HoloLens, that's what gave birth to the resurgence or the rebirth of Microsoft Flight Simulator, and that's really a, that's what makes the article kind of special because I'm sure a lot of us have speculated. I think we speculated on some of the other shows that we did. What really was the real reason or the real cause as to, as to why this came back, why it came back now? And this article kind of points to several of those reasons. Now, it takes another year, let's say 2017, before um, Jurg gets in touch with Asobo and uh, they decide they're going to take up this project that he's kind of proposed. They don't really get into the details of it, but he does say that using data of Microsoft's home city of Seattle, which Bing Maps has rendered down to five centimeter resolution with photogrammetry, Asobo took a few weeks to put together a demo of a Cessna flying downtown. Newman then showed Phil Spencer, who is now the head of Xbox. And it's so cool because I'm sure he had no idea what he's looking at, right? And he, he says, 
he just looked at me and he said, why are you showing me a video of Seattle with a plane? And then this is the cool part, Cookie, I'm sure, is uh, he's demonstrating this to Phil Spencer. And Newman says, and then the plane turned and we flew over the Microsoft campus where we were sitting at that exact moment. And he's like, is this real time? Is this running? And I'm like, yes, it is. And we then knew we had something special. And that there really is the, the moment where it clicked. Because in the, in the beginning, he's like, well, what are you showing me a plane flying around here for? Then yeah. it dawns. And it's all amazing. that old flight simulator life that was way back that they all loved. And like you said, they're mentioning it in the hallway every once in a while. And it's like the idea that didn't die, but it kind of went to sleep. And there wasn't a lot of hope that it would really revive anytime soon. But that moment mm -hmm. then is the moment that it kind of seems like, wow, I think we might be able to do this. So I think yeah. it's, this article is just great for giving you the, I agree, the initial yeah. insight. Yep. Really so cool. we're going to go with the first question because it does link a lot to, uh, to this article, actually. It is from uh, Zoom99 um, asking us about the development and why it was a Sobo Studios, um, especially about a game studio that in the past has been developing a lot of games for the Pixar movies. Uh, if you go to their Wikipedia page, you can see all the movies there uh, that these guys made video games for. Uh, it's actually quite a lot. You'd be surprised. So he was asking, like, you know, why why these guys? It's, it seems like a weird match, um, even though it has seemed to work pretty well so far. Um, and this is kind of already answered for us, actually, in the article. Uh, so this is actually an easier way to, to answer this. Um, but truly, I kind of agree with it as well. Uh, Asobo has done in the past the game Fuel, which was a 2009 open-world uh, racer game, and it used similar technologies. It provided, you know, satellite data for an area that they had set up, which was pretty the biggest actually at the time, uh, and they also used a lot more procedural techniques, which are used today for us. Uh, with trees, grass, certain weather elements, and even water. So so that's one of the reasons, is they had that one experience which overall was already decent. You need that, that kind of thing. If there's no experience, there's really nothing you can add on unless try and, and see what happens. Uh, but if you already have that experience, it is a big plus. So in this case, it worked well. Um, Asobo also has a pretty good uh, game engine that they, they made. Uh, so that's a really, that's a good point. I mean, of course, the, the stu every studio is going to have their own uh, proprietary softwares to help themselves. And they might also use uh, other game engines. Uh, but it's, it's always a nice plus to have those. Uh, on top of that, you know, Asobo... <clears throat> They're, they're a group of people that you could say are able to bring something, but we can't say they just never had experience because, you know, well, first of all, we all know they got access to the Flight Simulator X engine, so they were able to understand the the works behind. They also went and got themselves their, their PPL, their Pilot Private License, uh, so private pilot license, I mean, and all of that kind of puts that drive forward. You can see these guys don't just want to develop a game. They really went full on 
they went around, they started understanding uh, flight simulation from its base, which in this case was actually flying a plane in real life. So even if we might be thinking about a weird match, I think overall it's they found the people that actually had that passion of trying to understand things and and really move forward with uh, the community. And it's it's showing up a lot, not only in there, if you go on their, on their Twitter handle, uh, you can kind of see it sometimes in a few of their twit uh tweets my bad um it's it's really cool i i like their you know what else? they have that enthusiasm and energy you know what else is interesting is flight simulator i think they always prided themselves on trying to have a, a product that covered the entire world obviously some parts were better than others and i think when he saw fuel when newman saw fuel he's thinking to himself wow this is huge and his earlier point where he kind of dreamed a little bit, wow, what if we could do this across the entire world? The idea that the fuel world was so big and that Microsoft Flight Simulator always was, you know, it covered the entire world, except for maybe the very versions of it. So I think it was a good pairing simply because they were able to do such a large, a large gaming world with fuel that it wouldn't be that much more of a stretch, per se, to then cover the entire world. And I don't think Flight Simulator, especially after flight, I don't think they would ever go back to a very limited area kind of simulator. Well, they, they, they can't. The, that's, you know. that's the one thing yeah. the simulator from Microsoft has always been. It's the whole yeah, world. Right. That's the it's selling point right. they've had. Uh, yep. But what's interesting is now actually we... And again, it's it's in the article, all of this. Uh, they've also mentioned that they were clearly focused uh, on the simmers, right? They're really trying to make it very specific um, and not have this little gamery feeling. Um, and I know there's still some concerns about, you know, if it's just a basic flight simulator and then it's, it's still gamery or arcade-ish and it doesn't feel right. Um, this kind of confirms it again uh, for us, where it's still the same amount of realism. You're still getting the same calculation for uh, all your different physics, friction, aerodynamics, and all of this. And they're not dumbing it down to the point where it's impossible. They're just trying to make things accessible for people uh, right. through, for example, checklists and all those little different things to get people actually learning and moving forward. And in this article, they said, essentially, we're, we're making it just a sandbox for the simmer to be in there and do what they want. And a lot of simmers will go around the world. They'll, they'll fly all over their place. They'll, they'll try to figure out where's the next little island that can go land to and create all those amazing flight plans. Uh, there's no restrictions on that. So they kind of share a little more their their thoughts and, and feelings about how they wanted uh, the simulator. Especially because, um, and that's in the article again, they were mentioning how they don't want to think too much about the larger audience of, of gamers, because then you would lose that focus that is specific to flight simulation. Yeah. And they know that if they lose this, then essentially they've lost you themselves. Lose the core, right? If you lose the core, everything everything is going to be hanging onto the core, and if you if you kind of cast that aside everything all the pieces become disjointed you don't even know where the focus is yeah they were very i, I kind of i wasn't worried about it because they had said earlier 
in some of the feature discovery, or I should say the question and answers more so, is where they got a little bit grilled by the people at the uh, global preview event in September. And there were several pointed questions that really asked that, and I think it was answered quite well. And But then, of course, there's always that little bit of people that have that little bit of doubt. Yeah. Because, as I said last week, the PTSD from flight, it, it really freaked a lot of people out. But now you can clearly see from these actual quotes in the article that they really were focused on the sim part first. And I think in some of the footage that we've seen that we can go into later, there were there's a profile tab. So basically you can kind of set up your failures, your damage, what assists you're going to have. So you can kind of, the player, whether they're brand new or whether they're, you know, 30 years experience, they can go into that profile and set it up the way that they basically want it, and they can move forward from there. That's, I was a little worried last week. I was like, can you imagine if when you booted the thing up, so to speak, it pops up and it's too, like everything's uneasy, all the sensitivities are, are, are yanked way high. I think it's a really smart move to put that in the beginning so that every person that comes into this sim can basically set it up for the experience that they expect or that they want, which then, of course, can be changed later on when they learn or they get, you know, a different idea of what they want to do. So I think it's really important and smart for them to have set it up so that you can create this kind of user experience immediately so that nobody gets the wrong impression, so to speak. Yeah, definitely agree with that. And, I mean, this kind of links with the, the, the other big point of the article, which was to say, you know, this is – the simulator itself is a big commitment. Uh, it's not something that you can create and then just go on another project afterwards uh microsoft made that very clear from the beginning it's it's a big project it's a long-term project and uh well you know we've mentioned it in previous talks we're essentially saying this is essentially a seven to ten year old project in the future right so the next 10 years are going to be with the simulator and in a sense that is the only way that we're able to get a great product because, well, of course, we, we know that Microsoft has kind of been trying to reach this to the Xbox and to different people. That has a lot of people worried, and we've already talked about that. But it's kind of adding to this thing that, essentially, if you want Microsoft to stick for as long as possible to have as much support for it, uh, have a wide variety of add-ons that keep getting created like FSX was, there's still tons of add-ons. Uh, that you can just grab that are freeware, payware. There's such a variety for FSX already, um, and it's it's from 2006. It's still all there. Uh, so the fact that they're pushing this forward, they're just making that little compromise where they say, well, let's try to get a bigger market, so that way we can keep this simulator going uh, for the next 10 years, and so that way we can provide more of those updates for the scenery, uh, but for this flight simulation itself, as well as provide more DLCs and more content for, for the users. And that way, unifying think, the gamers and yeah. the simmers. Right, and of course, the more positive it is out the gate, you know, if they can, get, if they can really get it right out of the gate, then all of these things, you know, people are going to want those DLCs. People are going to want freeware. The whole movement will, will succeed, and it will give the life that can go out those 10, 15 years like FSX did if we have a really good start. And I think they're really aiming to try. I mean, there's going to be a lot of work they still have to do. And that's part of that whole 10-year process. 
that's part of these uh, development roadmap world updates that we're going to see and, and some of the other things. But that's what's going to keep it alive. Yeah. And I think they're open this time for people to say, oh, you know, this, this might be missing. I wonder if you can add it. I'm curious how they're going to set it up so that people can inform them somewhere. I don't know if it's going to be in a forum or how it's going to be, but I would imagine there's going to be a place where you can either put in requests or maybe alert them to say, oh, this bridge is submerged or that building should be, you know, taller or, or whatever, that, that the community itself is going to develop or help develop the sim over time. And it's kind of like, even though they used FSX as the, like, scaffolding that this was built on, and then as it was created, they kind of chucked out the old parts. But it's like, I don't know, I'm a little bit losing my train of thought, but it's important that we give it a chance. It's important that people stick around to, to make it better. But if you remember X-Plane when it first came out, you know, it had a lot of kinks and, I mean, for whatever problems it still has. It's kind of like FSX as a new, I mean, sorry, Microsoft Flight Simulator. It's kind of a new platform despite the FSX bones underneath. So we have to realize that in the beginning there will be, you know, scenery things that need to be repaired or flight dynamics that need to be updated, just like the other sims. And despite Microsoft being around so long that this simulator has been around for, what, 32 or 38 years? It's been a that, long um, time. Yeah, it's been a very long time. So I think this first iteration, which I don't think they're going to start adding numbers on between you and me. I think it's going to be like Microsoft Flight Simulator, and that's it. Well, that's and that's a very interesting keep... aspect is why haven't they made this one, you know, more easily distinct? And actually, you can even pick it up in, in some of the Discovery uh, series videos. Even the developers themselves, they say, you know, FS20 or FS2020 yeah. or Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020 because it's just, it's, it's not always Have easy it. for people to, to <laughs> grab that, you know, it's just Z Simulator. Yeah. Uh, people might be confused with, with the older iterations. At the same time, they're keeping it simple, right? It's just basic Microsoft Flight Simulator. And they could kind of follow the same model that they've been following for, you know, their Windows platform. Uh, or their office platform, where it just have one version, and it gets updated frequently. That's it. Right? And right. That, that could be a, a streamlining method of uh, of making it simple. You know, it's just a one product, and you can get it for Windows 10, you can get it for Xbox. Um, and then we'll see about if that even comes up to their uh, streaming platform as well, which is about to debut um, next month, actually. So that will be interesting to see as well. We have an interesting question, Cookie, and it's a technical one, so I will defer to you. Jack says, will it support 8.33 kilohertz radio spacing? Ooh. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a technical one. Um, <laughs> so the thing that I know – so we don't really know much about how radios are going to work in this new simulator. Um NFSX, they did have this thing where you could essentially talk through different frequencies. You were holding the caps lock key as you're pushed to talk. Uh, then as you switch frequencies, you were able to speak in different frequencies. Sadly, the network backbone of that, and I think it probably got worse when it got uh, transmitted over from GameSpy to 
uh, 2FSX with Steam Edition, uh, so on the Steam servers, that probably didn't help it because it was still pretty horrible uh, to the point where people decided to just use, you know, Discord or TeamSpeak to to speak with each other instead of using that method, uh, just because of how bad it was. Now I don't know if this new simulator will have this. Uh, just because of how many people could be in multiplayer at one time. Uh, it would be an interesting feature to have, definitely, uh, for the serious flying uh, multiplayer mode. And I know that this is the kind of stuff that the network platforms like VATS and MyVeo and POSCON are really starting to push forward. I know, for example, POSCON has gone full ham on the development to make all of these little things happen. Um, so e even that kind of technical spec has been uh, worked on to its full potential. Uh, and then VATSIM came with its new codec and IVO came up with its new codec. So it's interesting to see how, you know, we're, we're kind of getting those things now uh, just because of, you know, one network does it, so the other one decides to, to do it and suddenly everyone's on it and there's a consensus again. Um, I don't know if the sim will have that because that's quite a specific uh, feature, uh, but if they do, that would be amazing. We just need to have maybe some more the. I mean, this is this is where it gets interesting because how are they gonna how are we gonna moderate the the multiplayer aspect of the simulator after after this, right? Once you get in there, you can you can be anyone, you can be doing anything. So you can't really have all these people, all this moderation at once. It's kind of hard to do all of this. Um, so if they have voice and all that stuff, and you just have people screaming and and, and the microphones and all that stuff, it's going to get really bad. So I don't know if, if they're going to do this or they have found uh, a solution to this, or you know, I, I don't I don't know yet their point of view, and I haven't thought enough about this to to get an idea myself. Uh, Cookie, we had an earlier question, and now that we're talking about multiplayer, this kind of goes into it. Yeah. Myself, Arian, asked well. They said, can we get some more detailed talk on the VATSIM partnership? So in keeping with the multiplayer aspect, um, what are your thoughts on the VATSIM partnership and the pros and cons of it? Yeah, and I've seen Rotate Aviation also asked about that for the Xbox as an Xbox support. Um, yeah, I mean, the VATSIM partnership is a VATSIM partnership with Microsoft. Uh, we talked about this in the last talk, actually. Um, very interesting, because it could be a lot of different things. We, we don't exactly know a lot yet, and I know VATSIM has been pretty excited uh, to get working with Microsoft to get support out of the box. Uh, I know that POSCON as well has that uh, working out of the box, even though they're not planning to really focus on that yet. Uh, it just works. Um, but what I'm going to say is I think there could be more integration into the simulator this time instead of just having you know, your client that you have to run separately. Um, and that kind of links back to, to the theories that we talked about, you know, where you have the marketplace, you have your add-on manager, and then all integrates together. You have everything that just installs on its own. And all you have to do is just click install and it's there. You know, it downloads and installs, and it, it's part of the simulator. So if we follow that logic uh, to VATSIM, then I think you would have... You'd go yourself in multiplayer, so you'd select your thing, you'd have whatever you want, you create your flight plan, and once you spawn in, um, the VATSIM could show up, 
and this is just speculation, right? I'm not working with Vatsim. I don't know anything about all this. Um, they could just have another icon at the top on that little menu while in-game. Um, and they could totally hijack the ATC uh, window as well. That's the kind of stuff that should be accessible through the SDK. Because there's, of course, going to be third-party add-ons for ATC and communications once you're in single-player. So I would expect something like that, where they, you know, they kind of play around with the interface, where they kind of create their own little windows inside the game and use that little ATC thing. That, that would be something cool. I hope that's something we can see uh, show up in the game, because then that would just make it a lot simpler for people. That's kind of my thought on it. Now, that coming for Xbox, technically, if they do an add-on like this, it could work for both. Um, then the only question is, you know, inputs. If you have to write something because you're like, it might only be a voice only, you won't be able to write. Um, there, there might be a few restrictions uh, unless you just plug in a keyboard. Uh, then I think it would be just as accessible. So I think both are possible. Yeah. Hopefully that answers it. Yeah. Um, I was curious what you thought of, I mean, there's so many of the releases that we've had. And I'm wondering, is there anything in particular that, like, you started to see this media coverage that's coming out and people, you know, previewing it and doing, you know, flight examples and all that? Is there anything, there's a few things that I saw that I found interesting. There was a few glimpses of some of the user interface that was pretty cool. Um, of course, there's a lot of scenery elements good, and there's a couple that are kind of weird. Um, did anything stick out to you that you really, really thought was, wow, this is, Surprise, or I'm glad it was done this way, or there's a, there's a couple of them in particular that were kind of obscure locations that were surprisingly done well, where you know that they didn't do any handcrafting, it's impossible. It's in such a rural place. One of the guys um, had a video in Canada, and that's the one I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah, go for it. Not talk talk about it. Yeah, because um, uh, I know you're, you're actually yeah. the one who shared me that video. Um, and, uh, yeah, you were really amazed by how well this thing was done, uh, especially for Autogen. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm going to put the link in, so just in case no one has seen it or they're interested, it's Quill 18s. Uh, that's actually the second one. The first video that he did, the second one here is in Sudbury. That's his hometown, and I'll talk about that one while I've got it. Um, it was amazing because Sudbury obviously isn't the largest uh, city in Canada. It's not 3D. It's certainly not photogrammetry. And he was able, as he's flying, he's literally able to start having a conversation like, you know, I, I don't understand why you have a, a street and then you're halfway down the street and it was like North Paris and now all of a sudden it's South Paris and I don't understand how it, I mean, where's the transition? I mean, let's look out the window. He's looking out the window and he's literally able to say, yeah, that's a Timmy Hortons, and that's the mall that's right across the street. When you get up here, there's the interchange, and this is where, I'll make it up, South Paris turns into North Paris. And he's literally able, in this non-photogrammetry, non-3D, not particularly unusual city in Canada, and he's able to literally tell you, you know, this is the intersection here, and that road is this road. It was so unbelievable. And I just, and I'm thinking to myself, I, I just, it's amazing. It's so amazing because he was so 
specific in such a generic area that it gave hope that a lot of this is going to be a little bit more than we even realize. I don't think we quite comprehend what the technology can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, te- and the technology is amazing in that, right? You can see all those details. It's straight out there. And, you know, someone didn't have to manually work on it to get it working, uh, which is a big time saver because there's a lot of space in this world. Um, the world is really big. The world is big. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really big. Exactly. Uh, he also pointed out, he pointed out this island, which, of course, I will let you pronounce the island because you say it a lot better than I do. Uh, yeah, Manitoulin. Largest, Manitoulin. Manitoulin largest, Island. Yeah. Largest uh, island in a freshwater lake, I believe he said. And there again, he's like, there's no way any of this was handcrafted. There's no way. He said there's probably less than 10,000 people scattered on this big island, a lot of trees and, you know, it's like a, a, a vacation spot, but it's more a vacation spot for people who want to, you know, get out of the city and go into the country and yeah, it's an Indian reserve experience most of it. nature, right? And he was able to say, "Oh yeah, we're going to come around this corner, and you know, there, there's a little, there's an ice cream shop there, and he's and he's kind of pointing it out that red building, that's an ice cream shop, and this one, a little bit up the way there, yeah, that 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 gray, that grayish white one, that's the customs office. So when you come in, if you're coming in from the U.S., you're going to stop there." When you finally get done with your paperwork and stuff, just go right over there, point, you know, kind of indicates. He's like, yeah, that's the ice cream place. And I'm like, dude, this is impossible. How can this be? You know? Yeah. And apparently it's a nice so ice cream like, place, apparently. So if you guys ever go to the <laughs> yeah, Georgian Bay, before, you know where to stop. You yeah. know where to stop. But it was, I mean, and yeah, then there's other videos where we can get into, like London. There's a few things that probably still need to be worked on, and I would imagine they are. Yeah, well, actually, yeah, we talk about the positives, but let's talk about the negatives as well. Yeah. Right, there's a lot of seams. Uh, There's a lot of bridges that are actually underwater. Uh, Sometimes the water elements, so boats, uh, sometimes even buildings uh, that are on the water are kind of looking like they're underwater. And all you see is the, the, the satellite texture and then that water on top, that procedurally generated water. So yeah, it it's like kind Pearl of funny. Harbor, like it was just sunk straight down. You can see the, I think it's the Belfast, I think. It's a destroyer. I'm not great with my military ships, but yeah, I was on it when I was in London. I just can't remember. But yeah, it shows it, but it's it's kind of submerged right below the water. And you have some like little cars that are flying across, but unfortunately they're, they're kind of driving through the water. Uh, Buckingham Palace right now is a generic, uh, it's a generic building, but I'm positive some of, I'm positive something like that's probably being handcrafted. There's a lot of the... Uh... That's the thing. There's a lot yeah, of buildings that in places where no photogrammetry, photogrammetry was provided, uh, well, they have to do it manually. And yeah. uh, from the article, from the Verge article, um, they actually mentioned that there's also a bigger focus on where people usually don't fly. And because they have all this data of where people have flown in the alpha and an understanding of you know which bigger cities of course people will fly to they could kind of work to to have a bit of both at the same time so they're also working more on south america and africa uh for example and then they're still having some people of course uh, implement the bigger things that are in the bigger cities that everyone knows uh and of course to fix those yeah i think it's good news they're finally going to focus on south america and Africa, and that was from from Jörg Newman, 
that he said, you know, I fly a lot there. It's spectacular. And he, he literally wants to bring these regions up with the rest of the world. There are some other details in some other articles that mentioned that every 28 days, there's a cycle of updates that's possible from Bing. Now, I hadn't read that in any other article. It's in a Windows Central article. But in keeping with their intention to be around for 10 years and him letting out that hint that, you know, we know that North America or specifically the United States and Europe is so well done or it's, you know, visited by everybody, but that they want to focus and bring the rest of the world up to those levels and that Bing is doing updates every 28 days, despite some places in the sim, like I think one person mentioned in San Francisco, the old candlestick park is still there, which has been demolished like how many ever years ago. But the point is, I think they're also trying to bring up all these other areas. So there will come a point sometime down the road, as it would with any sim that has come out and it's the first version, so to speak, that maybe three or four iterations down the road, by that time, all of these updates will have been brought into the sim. So there will be a time when eventually that data that's being fed to it will be more current. Yeah. If not current, and, so I uh, think there's a lot of hope that these regions will be actually will be much better than they ever were anywhere else. There's even more about this because uh, we kind of omitted something. Oyslander uh, Radio actually mentioned the Orbex partnership, which is a uh, yeah. very good point that we kind of omitted from this so far, uh, <laughs> and just about how much you can bring when you have Orbex and its experience in working with, you know. 3D modeling, uh, terraforming, essentially, getting yourself to a point where you have something that looks like the real life uh, from a terrain perspective, from building perspective, uh, from shores, right? Shores are hard, that are really hard to work with. Um, buildings, these poor uh, constructions over water that end up being engulfed in water, like bridges, or actually bridges sometimes even have just the water continuing to go under them. Um, so there's there's a lot of stuff. It's it's those mutual partnerships because, you know, Orbix can provide some of the skills and, and talent as well as expertise in there. And they know Microsoft will essentially give them more customers in the long term because Orbix is, of course, going to make scenery uh, and airports around the world as well. And you can always make more with what we currently have it already looks amazing it's already incredible what we've achieved uh with the simulator in, in 2020 with this tech but we know this is a simulator that's supposed to go on for another 10 years we know we're going to get new gpus and cpus in, in the next few months uh that's going to continue in 10 years that's probably going to be a lower standard than what the average person will want to fly on yeah. so orbix will be there to update those to even higher fidelity and at some point imagine if we can reach you know perfect visuals that look just yeah, like one real for life. one everywhere on earth yeah that'd be amazing yeah that would that would and be eventually something. we'll have the hardware that'll be able to run it yeah i'll uh, take its time mention they'll take its time not yet but it it you know if we what we have to realize is on release day let's not forget where we're coming from. Yeah, we're coming from X-Plane with $500 in add-ons or $1,000 in add-ons. We're coming from P3D that's, you know, prettied up FSX and then it's added a little bit. But again, tons of add-ons and 
all kinds of things to enhance and make that look better. But this simulator, if we, I know it's been around for 38 years, but let's, I think we need to look at it as like a new thing, almost, almost a new thing in a way the past helps you in this instance on release day. We also have to have a little bit of patience because it, it kind of is a new baby now. It's it's so long in between that it's going to take the time that it took E3D and explain to make those changes in their sim. I think Microsoft's going to be able to do it more quickly because of the nature of how those updates are going to be done, that they're literally just going to be incorporated directly into their servers. It's not like every other month you're going to have to download 500 gigabytes to bring the product up to the new standard. So I think yeah. it's going to be a combination of giving it time, but also remembering where we're coming from. Let's take this vanilla sim on the 18th of August. And yeah, there'll be some roads and bridges, like you said, that are, have got the issues, but look back at FSX and say, this is where this came from. Yep. Don't think of all the other ones with all the add-ons. Yes. The other ones have the add-ons. This is vanilla versus vanilla. So I think if we look at it that way, instead of saying, well, my X-Plane looks like this after $2,000, it's not really fair because Microsoft Flight Simulator, imagine that after $2,000, you know, a year <laughs> yeah, down the road. Imagine will... the difference. There is no comparison. Let, let it mature first before them. we you make yeah, those bold it, yeah. statements. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So let's, you let's don't know look what at it happen. from... Right. <laughs> yeah, you want to, everybody, somebody's going to be disappointed depending on where they're from. I mean, my area, I'm blessed. It's total photogrammetry, so it's going to look pretty amazing. And I'm sure there'll be places that are going to, like the Washington Monument. Here's an example. I'm sure they put a <laughs> yeah a, a placeholder skyscraper there as because one of the videos. Uh, I wouldn't want to live in there for sure. I'll get a nice yeah. view. Yeah, it would look nice. Um, I'm sure that they're doing the Washington Monument as a handcrafted yeah. element. And I kind of think it will probably be done in time for release day. Like, I don't think the White House was there either. I think the White House was a, a generic building like uh, Buckingham Palace. I think these really famous landmarks will be done probably by the 18th. But there will be some things like we're going to have Victoria Falls in Africa. It's absolutely amazing. The water's not going to be moving. You know what I mean? But I think someday it will be. There will be people that will expect, well, oh, I'm going to fly over. Victoria Lake, and I'm going to see. So just don't be super duper disappointed. Try to remember when you flew over Victoria Lake in X-Plane when it came out, the day it came out. And if you kind of look at it that way and say, look how far we've come, so that some of the tiny things that aren't perfect yet won't be a massive disappointment because some people really do believe, wow, it's going to be the entire world, and it's going to look exactly the same. So I think there's a little bit of an imbalance between the reality in Some a couple of weeks versus... Some people it's a miracle. Yeah. 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 I mean, I it can get there, and I think they have every intention of using the technology to try to get everywhere there, so to speak. Yeah. But if we look at where we're coming from to where we're about to arrive at, it's going to be an unbelievable... Some of these videos, it's just the footage of like, I look at it and I'm thinking, if we didn't know that this was coming out and somebody just showed this, you would think it was cinematics. You would not think that it was. Yeah, you'd think it'd be a pre-rendered, yeah, not a live project. Yeah. Right, yeah. So, and, and that's the thing, right? It's a lot of performance that is right out of the box, throwing you some of those visuals that you 
wouldn't expect. Um, actually, funny thing, a lot of people still don't believe this thing can run on the vast majority well, of computers. Are they thinking it's PTSD NASA computer? From, yeah, it's FSX. Well, some of them, it's some a of horror them of 2006. Not, right? Some people haven't played FSX. Uh, <laughs> I think there's a there's a good portion of people that have gone, you know, that straight away with with the hobby went P3D or, or X-Plane. Yeah, um, that's true. And, you know, it's kind of this, this thing where when something looks so next-gen, you don't expect it to run on on your own computer. But just follow this basic logic. We know that usually when you have consoles, the games are brought down in, in performance because, well, of course, an Xbox doesn't run as good as your $2,000, $3,000 computer. Um, but well, this time they're bringing it not only to the next gen for Xbox, but also this current gen of Xbox. So why would they do this if they know that the simulator is a powerhouse of performance to even get yourself a few frames? And this is kind of like the, the thing where you got to understand that this sim is not that bad. We've seen now a lot of of, uh, of footage. We've seen some data as well coming from uh, from different YouTubers who have started giving us, you know, specs and showing us different resolution. Well, this is, you know, 1440p. This is 4K. This is 1080p. Uh, and sometimes even, you know, you're lucky enough to get ultra high, medium, and low. See kind of the differences. Um, but even with hardware that is five, six years old. You can still get yourself with a 1080p medium experience at least. And, well, you could say that the last Xbox is maybe a tiny lower than this. And, well, of course, with software comes optimization. And, you know, your software needs to mature over time. You need to work with it and slowly bring it to where you want it to be. And since the beginning, they had... I think that intention to bring it not only just for the computers but also to the Xbox, and they knew that they would have to have that amount of performance on an Xbox able to run a big simulator. So they worked to run around, and don't forget, there's been you know about 15 years of gaming technology that has come out since FSX, uh, which is why people are shocked to see this. There's just such a difference. Uh, even compared to, to X-Plane or, or P3D. So don't worry too much. Even though there's some performance that you might think you're not going to be able to get, this thing should run just fine. And then upgrade after once you've tested. There's too many people around that, that have been uh, screaming about upgrading before they've even really tried the sim on their current systems to see how it would run. Um, so, so for those who are interested in upgrading, at least try it first on your computer, see what you can get out of it, and then, you know, upgrade. Uh, especially with new stuff coming out around September, October, you might be interested maybe in, in, in sponging some money there. Um, but right now, I think we're already having a simulator that is well above the expectations of, of a basic gamer, uh, and the performance is there as well. It works on, on pretty much anything. Uh, not, I'm not saying a Raspberry Pi. Uh, that's that's not a computer proper, so to say. Um, but this kind of stuff can run on, on a five-year-old machine just fine. 
So this this is the amazing thing about it. Anyone can play the sim. Of course, the quality is going to differ, but we've seen things like if you go between ultra and high, well, yes, there's going to be a few differences, but they're not to the point where you say, oh my god, that does not look like the same game anymore. That is still amazing. And, well, I'm on, I'm on an older system, actually, on my computer. I'm not the 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 9900K 3950X and the 2080 Ti uh, type of guy. Um, I'm actually on, on a GTX 970, so even older stuff. And I'm not even worried about it because I know I'm going to be able to reach something like a 40 FPS, maybe 30 FPS, depending if I go on medium or high. Um, of course, the SSDs kind of do matter a bit on it, so that's a little extra. And yeah, it's 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 a lot of cool stuff. So uh, I think it's you guys are perfect for it. You'll get the performance you need, and you know I, I think overall I don't think there's anything to be worried about. So for all the people screaming about you know the hardware and the and just what they have right now, give it a shot first, then you know come back and upgrade then because it's it's not worth your time to just waste money and then realize after all oh, it could have run just fine i just spent an extra twelve hundred dollars on a new gpu Farrell, are you back with us yeah yeah hey. every periodically it just decides to chuck me out so yeah i know that's <laughs> no thing. idea why i kind of had to pull it a little long on the hardware thing than i wanted but yeah uh don't be weird like don't be afraid about hardware guys because the more this simulator gets developed and the more it's being worked on the easier it will be for them to separate the different um, visual styles, graphics, and performance altogether. So uh, they have all the uh, the pieces in their hands now. They can just get it working. It's not a worry. Okay. One of my favorite. Oh, no, no, actually, I was gonna say keep one going. Of my fav- yeah, yeah, sure. I'll say one of my favorite videos. I love his videos. I love the videos, especially the series he did in his home country, which is Namibia, which is the Kanduris, the underscore C-A-N-D-O-U-R-I-S-T. Amazing videos, some parts of the world that a lot of us have never been blessed enough to go to. His initial uh, video uh, called, I have full access to the new MFS. And it was, was amazing. Yeah, one of the things he mentioned going off of hardware, as he said, he has a Ryzen 5 3600 with a 2070 Super and 16 gig of DDR4 3200, and he was able to run it ultra settings at 4K. In the video, there was a couple of small stutters that he reiterated over and over again. He's like, absolutely has nothing to do with the sim. It runs unbelievably smooth, even on his system. And he said, you know, my system's a little bit a little bit older, but he said that it just it ran beautifully on the top settings. And another really great thing, we're talking a lot about the scenery, but one thing that gave me a lot of confidence was he flew the flight design CTSL, the little uh, little uh, I don't know I don't know if it's experimental, but kind of remind me of the SR22 a little bit. But he said that the dynamics are really, really realistic. He flies the plane, so he's familiar with it. He said, literally, you can wheelie the nose and let it fly off the ground. So you're basically you're, you're putting it nose high with the, the back wheels still on the ground, and you literally, this is how the plane takes off. He said, it's exactly how it flies in real life. 
he flies the aircraft, the, the stall characteristics of it are absolutely precise. He does say in another video there's a bit of an issue with the X-Cub, although he really, really liked the Savage Cub. Again, both of which I believe that he has flown in real life. So the flight dynamics, which we had made a point of saying really, really need to be on point. Microsoft is almost always on point on visuals. It's the flight dynamic uh, award, so to speak, that they really need to actually get this time to have the complete package in one. And it looks like on some of the aircraft, uh, the flight dynamic is really, really something to be uh, looking forward to. And that kind of gave me relief. You know, sometimes oh, if, yeah. depending on how you use the yeah, sometimes how you use the camera, the seeing the footage, you don't realize it. And I've also heard that it's hard to distinguish whether you're in a, a sped up mode, like you're running at 2x or 4x. There's some people that were speeding it up to show you footage, and they're like, wait a minute, there's no visual on the screen. I don't know if I'm am I still in 2x now, or am I flying at regular speed? But sometimes when you show footage that's in that 2x or 4x, and I think he also, the Candorus also mentioned, that the flight dynamics are more stable in some of the aircraft than what you might be seeing displayed in the video. Like they look too, too reactive, almost, God forbid, too gamey. But some of them have released videos saying, listen, this is, you know, I sped it up. This is why, you know, I can move it on a dime. But when you have it running in real time, it's not. But the flight dynamics, it's nice to hear that somebody is starting to comment about whether they are realistic or poor. You know, and, and it's, I, I'm sure it's dependent on which aircraft. But he was very pleased with the, I think it's Zling, Savage Cub, and the flight designs. Have you heard anything, Cookie, on any of the dynamics that either gave you pause or gave you a little bit of confidence? Um, well, there is the, um, the thing that you mentioned about the, well, when he sped up and everything. Uh, but just before that, you know, when when the camera stops on a single area, right? When you're looking at one area in particular for a longer period of time, um, the amount of detail increases depending on on the time, right? Um, yes. And that's just some of the little things that you kind of see about how the engine decides to load different areas and into what kind of quality and before it has always been you know like fsx where you just have a radius and just as well that's the radius you get and you can move that around in fact you could even go to the config file and put even more weird stuff um which some people said would improve performance and sometimes it did the complete opposite um and you had this radius that was you know just following the plane. The plane was the center point of of that radius, and you'd have this big circle around, and it would just load out what was left behind, and it would just load forward what's forward. And you had a smaller radius around you for what was higher detail, uh, like you know your scenery, uh, trees, and sometimes building. Uh, but even with FSX, it was not really amazing. You could see it pop in and out. It was kind of hard uh, visually for the eye. And, of course, anti-aliasing didn't help back then. Um, even though it was there, it was it was just fine. You needed a really good GPU to be able to handle 
you know, some some decent graphics with that. Now we have an engine which is a lot smoother. You have something that is not just going to be a basic radius and saying, well, this is what you get. And it's just going to, you know, pop in and out everything that you need. Because, well, first of all, you know, now you're looking at around 16 gigs of RAM. You're looking at 8 gigs of VRAM for your GPU. You can hold a lot more things into your GPU and it can just load a lot more stuff around you. And of course, there's more visual fidelity uh, in that, of course. But they have this little subtle extra that they've added to make sure that even without noticing it, there's that difference in quality that switches up or down. And that is both amazing because, you know, you, you get more details where you're looking, which is great. But also at the same time, you're getting more performance because, you know, where you're not looking, you don't need to have the same amount of details. So right. it's these little techniques that really add a lot. And I think those are going to be the kind of things that are going to be further enhanced, for example, for the Xbox. Uh, just don't have what you don't need loaded. Uh, and especially for the consoles, is going to be even of a bigger deal uh, for those that have seen the PS4 SSD talks. Uh, you can understand a little more how they're using you know, their SSDs this time to just load what's in front of you, and then you can kind of forget the rest about what's behind. Um, and older consoles can still use some of those technologies, so yeah, I'm not too worried about that. Um, but just the fact that they have it in the point that it's so subtle that you barely see it, and then you have to pay attention to a certain point for it to see that it's, you know, giving more detail the, the longer, you know, you, you look at a spot or uh, when you move forward and you look in front of you, well, you see those little details quickly change. It's the kind of thing that, well, I mean, if it wasn't there, well, you would see that it, it pops in. It would not be a really great experience. But the fact that it's just there and it's smooth in the background and people don't really notice it, that's the kind of details that tells me, you know, the simulator might be a little more polished in certain aspects that we may not see. And people might focus too much on the basic things like, well, this texture has a huge seam in it, or this mountain side doesn't look like what it should be. Um, there's a lot of that background tech that has been smoothed out and worked on for, for a visibly a long amount of time, enough for them to perfect it to the point where you don't even notice it's there until you, you really look at a certain point. So um, that's some of the stuff I'm actually excited about for the simulator. You know, I'm curious about something. The uh, question of being able to cache your scenery and a couple of the videos have confirmed that you will be able to tell it, you know, how much and where you want to store it. And I was wondering, I have a really large, an eight terabyte hard drive and I have like a 500, I'm going to buy a, a terabyte, but right now I have a 500 uh, NVMe SSD. And what I was wondering is if you, let's say you cached, an area that is on your hard disk drive is do you suppose they would have a way maybe to as you're approaching this area or you know you're going to be calling up for that data do you think there's a possibility to get the better performance that the sim might grab that information from the hard disk drive and move it into a portion of the SDD so that perhaps the you know the loading time coming from your 
hard disk drive might be reduced if while you're doing this, it's actually pulling some of that from the hard disk drive and putting it into an area in a chunk of your SDD. Do you think that's possible? Because that might help because, you know, not everybody's going to have a four terabyte you know, SSD or hard drive. drive so, yeah, yeah especially, in, especially a solid state. So I'm just wondering if um, – if you think that is maybe one of the ways that they might be able to work yeah. around not everybody having such a large, mm -hmm. you know, solid state drive, as opposed to a lot of people will have a very large, you know, multi terabyte hard disk. That's a good think. question. Um, so let's go from the beginning. Um, in terms of storage solutions, we have hard drives. Hard drives are the slowest. Uh, it's the little head on the platter that moves in it. You know, it's it's slow enough for you to actually have spinning uh, disks in it just to be able to reach the data. It's kind of slow, um, and it's been around for a long time, so most people have one. Then you have an SSD. An SSD is faster. Um, all of it, it's in little modules, and all those modules connect to each other and really get much faster transfer speeds. Then you have actually another one, and that's RAM. And RAM is a type of memory, which sadly, when you power it off, well, boom, it's all gone. No more memory. But it is much quicker. And what the gaming industry has been doing for a long time is taking that RAM and preloading things into that RAM. And then once it's in the RAM, then it's, it's quickly accessible to the point where you can say, I just want this, and it's straight away, it is right there. You don't have to wait, you know, you don't have that latency. Uh, you don't have to wait 300 milliseconds for your hard drive to go find something. It's already there. And the less RAM you have, the more your storage becomes a bottleneck. Uh, the more RAM you have, the less it'll become a bottleneck. But if you just have 32 gig or 64 gigs of RAM and a hard drive, well, in, in many situations, your hard drive will still struggle because, well, you need to put it into RAM first and then offload it. Um, so depending on how they'll do it, they could definitely say, well, you know what, we can just we have 64 gigs of RAM, so we can just offload all the scenery that we think you'll be using because you gave us this flight plan from here to there, and we know you usually do flights that are about uh, two hours long and blah, 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 you know, like the data that's been gathered from your previous experiences and previous, uh, just previous flights in the simulator, right? If, if they know that you usually do a two-hour flight, well, they can kind of understand where you're about to go. Um, and then they could pre-cache it onto the RAM. But most people don't have 64 gigs of RAM. Usually you might see it at 32 and usually 16 or even 8 gigs. Um, and this is where the new consoles are very interesting because what they do is they have an mm -hmm. SSD that is so fast that it could technically work as a RAM on its own. So you can play a game and instantly fetch whatever data that you would have in front of the screen from the SSD instead of having to store it into the RAM first. Uh, of course, consoles, especially those that are being built for the next generation, are, well, they're, they're very well built. They have a lot of extra components that are not yet into the consumer space for computer hardware. Um, and I expect that to come fairly soon, hopefully. Uh, and integrate into GPUs as well. Those are like specific uh, little hardwares and little chips that optimize certain processes to be much faster. Um, so that's how consoles did it. You know, they said you have a huge SSD, it's very quick, 
it's some of the fastest we have let's just use that as ram so for us as the most common user we actually had other features that we could use uh AMD, for example, had this feature in the past called StoreMI. Uh, they've actually closed that feature down now. They're bringing another one, which apparently would be much more efficient uh, for the next generation of CPUs. But what StoreMI was is a feature where it would take a space of your hard drive on your SSD. And of course, there's also other software that can do this. Uh, but StoreMI, because it's AMD, it really has full control over the system so it could actually do things easier less overhead um, would take space from your ssd in your hard drive and just see what's most used in your hard drive and cache it into the ssd and then from your ssd you know you can you can put that and use that for however you want because your ssd is quick enough to handle it uh, even sata ssd is not bad uh, of course if you go in vme you're going to get quicker speeds but yeah I have a question it. about memory, so this will be, yeah, I hear RAM being talked about a lot around this community, and I have 8 gigabytes. Is it really going to perform that bad? That's from Foe. Yeah, uh, Foe, um, well, the thing with 8 gigabytes is you're going to have some of these 8 gigs that are going to be eaten by your, um, by your OS, and then by background tasks and then by whatever you have in your system tray and any other window that's open. So you're not gonna have really eight gigabytes for the simulator. You might be at six or even five or four. And depending on how much that's gonna have, then it's gonna just use as much as it can until it kind of maxes out the RAM. And in some cases it can create some instability with Windows, but I think Windows 10 can handle it just fine. Uh, depending on, on the system. Um, 8 gigs, I mean, if you want to go, maybe go for 12 or 16, that would be that would be a nice plus. But um, again, like I said before, you know, kind of give it a try. See what 8 gigs can give you. Um, and usually when you have an 8 gig of RAM, you won't have the absolute top-end GPU and CPU to go with it. So... Mm -hmm what would happen is you would probably be around the same settings. You know, you probably have an older GPU and CPU to go with it. Uh, so then you wouldn't be at a 4K resolution uh, at ultra, of course. So because you won't be using as much resources because you can't reach that high resolution and that high level of detail, you will be able to bring down the settings and eventually 8 gigabytes might just be enough for, you know, 1080p medium. So that's that's kind of like what the play around. Uh, so kind of, you know, just just get the game, try it, and yeah, with your with your current specs like a Ryzen 3600 and, and an RX 580, that I think that might be fine. Um, if you see struggles, go with 16 gigs. Uh, we just don't have enough information to really understand, uh, you know, how much how the RAM is being used right now in the simulator. But uh, yeah, that would be interesting. Uh, so to finish answering your question, Faryal, about the the SSD and all that stuff, you can use your hard drive for caching, and I think there is a way for you to just choose you know, your, where you want to, your caching uh, data to go to, so what drive or what folder, and the hard drive will, will just make it work, right? 
and when you cache it just means you don't have to download from the internet so we'll just use your ram and it'll go through there uh if you can have a dedicated ssd for everything you might have you know more snappiness a load probably quicker uh, and you'll just have more snappiness overall uh, hopefully you won't have to download so much stuff afterwards because you're going to use most of your cache uh, data in keeping with what you were mentioning because at the time I got the computer, a couple of people were like, you're nuts, because I got 64 um, gigabytes. And I did that because the price was really favorable to go from 32 to 64. But a lot of people were like, oh, you know, you wasted your money. That's ridiculous. Other people were like, oh, maybe you're future-proofing, but who knows. But from what you're telling me, I have a question. Do you think it would be possible if now maybe they're not going to be taking advantage of all that memory? But how difficult would it be? as the simulator is updated, that eventually it could be taken into account that if you had the 64, it could use some of this extra RAM beyond what maybe normally the sim would want as an ideal amount, like 32. Do you think that, well, I think eventually, of course, everything seems to go up. So over time, 64 will someday be considered pretty normal. I'm just wondering how hard it would be to adapt the simulator's the way that it's programmed in order to use the resources if they said, you know what, more and more people have this amount, so let's make sure that, that the simulator now, if it detects it, can use some of that RAM as like, you know, an immediate sort of, you know, immediate response storage. Do you think it's possible or likely or unlikely? It would be cool. Um, it's yeah. the kind of stuff where... Uh, it might be more of a software bottleneck at some point because it's kind of a unusual case so far. It's not everyone who has 64 gigs. Uh, so it might be the kind of assumptions that are, you know, with the programming of, of the simulator. Uh, but if they have a thing that says, well, if there is this amount or above of free gig of, of free gigs of RAM, then just use it. Uh, you would still yeah. have a loading screen. I mean, because everything will have to go into RAM. So as you load the game, your RAM will have to, to be filled with that data. Once you're loaded into the simulator, then your RAM will be the bottleneck. Uh, and it could be your internet connection if you go through the online uh, streaming. It might be uh, your your hard drive or your SSD. It could be even just your GPU. But there will always be something that will bottleneck your computer else than, than your RAM. Um, oh, for sure. If if they can really use the RAM, then they would just load anything around. I mean, it'd be you. nice, yeah. They would just load everything to the amount of detail that they can bring before your GPU starts burning, uh, <laughs> or your CPU. Crap. But uh, you I'm... know, that's kind of the thing. Like RAM is kind of this thing where unless it's filled, it's more of this thing that is just it's good to have, right? It's it's not the same as a CPU or a GPU where you can get more performance out of something if you buy more. Uh, RAM is more of this thing where you don't need to buy more unless you need more. So in a sense, that's kind of like the same rule that developers mostly have a consensus on. Uh, and then after, there's only so much you can do with RAM before you know something else becomes the bottlenecks in the system. I'm going to have a lot of extra RAM with uh, nothing to do for a while. <laughs> that's kind <laughs> well, of... Well, you you, you'll be able to see, you know, if, if the simulator uses more or less the same amount of RAM as other systems use. 
it's not like something that, uh, like you said, that you can't use down the road. I only did it, like I said, because the price was really good, and I thought, yeah, I didn't really know exactly how the RAM would be affected, or I should say the other way around, how the SIM will be affected by more RAM. But I was like, you know what, for the small little bit of money to double my memory, I'm like, I'm going to do it. I hope that someday, well, in keeping with that theory, I, I was one of those that was going back and forth between Intel and Ryzen, and you're listening to all these people, you know, oh, you need a high, you know, uh, clock speed on, on a single core, because it's usually single core, and then there's other people that are like, you know, all these, you know, the modern, the modern gaming system is going to use more cores, so if you have more cores, you know, it, it's going to be better, and I was going back and forth, and I was hopeful, and I think so far of what we've seen, um, I think it's going to use more than one core, obviously, and so I think maybe the multi-core will make a little bit of a difference. It's that, it's that eternal battle that you can never really win, yeah. but I kind of went down that road, too. I wasn't sure, so I just this time I went for more cores at a slightly lower clock so speed. So essentially you're, you're talking about would... the talk between, you know, the, it's more of a debate, and people do fight yep. over it. I, I find it kind of a little stupid sometimes, but it's the Intel yeah. versus AMD. Because yep. Intel has been always really good at providing single-thread performance and single-core performance. And AMD has been great at providing more cores and more usable uh, processor speed and just a lot of other things as well to, to the platforms, um, both LGA and AM4, which are the, the sockets for, for those CPUs. So, yeah, in a sense... There is this, so it's kind of like we, we can go back into the past of this. How um, back in the in the days, we can say even in the last twenty years, uh, even before, back even to the Pentium and, and all that stuff, uh, when everything was one core, everything was about you know that core, that thread, or when it became a multi-threading, then two threads. Um, and slowly we've been able to reach two cores, four cores, six cores, eight cores, ten cores. And, well, of course, you still had that one core that was really good. And then the other cores were kind of sharing some of the work. But because of the way everything was programmed, most of the stuff was always mostly held on a single core. Most of the work was done on one core and two threads. And playing FSX, if you look at the CPU usage, you'll see that one core is fully utilized, and the rest is maybe utilized more or less, and then the rest is just quiet. Uh, I'd say there's maybe two cores, four cores that would be used max by FSX, because FSX was, you know, 2006. Uh, it was not made really for, for a lot of cores. Now we already have, you know, 64 core epics from uh, from AMD. We have reached a new standard for six cores, very cheap, six cores from AMD. And Intel has been struggling to 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 compete in certain markets with with AMD, but they're really still trying to keep that single thread performance on top. Now, is the single thread performance actually what matters today? Does it still matter? I think it matters less than before because of how much more multi-threading um, or hyper-threading for, for Intel, how things have gone, where we're able to separate workloads between more cores and make it more parallel between those different cores. Um, 
so it's, we're slowly moving away from that. But then, you know, if you look at the data that we received from the from Asobo, you know, they say, well, we know that you're going to use at least one to two cores on the aerodynamics and the weather. And then you have other stuff that's going to be on other cores. So I'd expect at least four cores, maybe a six core to be really properly utilized because the minimum specs are essentially a four core for a thread CPU. And then you get a four core, eight thread CPU, and then anything above that works. So yeah, it will scale up to the more cores and of course more threads uh, that you get. It'll be interesting yeah. to see what comes up though. Yeah, it'll be yeah, it'll be cool to see how that um how that works out. Um, in all of this whole week of stuff, like I said, we've gone through so many videos and so much information, and that's crazy. The good and the bad and the indifferent. Um, you know, some people flying over Area 51, and it's in a way it's a little hard to understand because, like, let's say. Again, you have Area 51 that is in the sim, and you can see uh, some of the detail. It's not bad detail at all. And then you have some larger places like Washington, D.C. or London where you would kind of think that you would have that kind of coverage, but yet you don't. Can you go into maybe why some places – I mean, we know North Korea and obvious. But why do you think maybe they don't have the same data for, like, D.C. or London? Do you – do you have any idea why that would be? Or is it just it hasn't got around to being updated yet or they are in the process of doing it and we're just not seeing it yet? What do you think maybe the reason is for that? Well, there's multiple levels of data that can be provided and, and visualized. Um, the photogrammetry obviously gives you the best result but is more expensive and needs to be updated as much as satellite data. Um, it's it's also requiring a certain amount of, of horsepower in the back to, to get everything, all the data combined. Um, but photogrammetry is the number one. Then you get your satellite data, which in its own is, is pretty decent with, with algorithms. You know, you can really figure out, you know, oh, this is a building, this is the approximate height of it, and get yourself a texture, and just essentially create a 3D building out of a two-dimensional picture uh, satellite view from the top. Uh, the thing that I would say is because we don't see necessarily everything, high-end, high-quality details and everything, and buildings missing is, well, it's kind of hard. You know, In three years, they said, well, Bing Maps, instead of just showing us you know, on your little website, optimized versions of the world with compressed pictures from a browser. This time, we want to see high fidelity, high quality pictures that are good enough so that if you're close or if you're far, you'll recognize what it is or what it's supposed to represent. That's all the level of details. And there's a lot of level of details in, in the simulator. So, you know, you can get up to around, I think it was 20 or 30. Uh, don't quote me on that. I need to, to verify that again. But um, you have so many different level of details that I think it was Seattle they mentioned could be up to 60 gigs alone on the highest level of detail. Yeah. Uh, so that's already a lot of data to work with. They've been How able many... to get most of it. How yeah. many places are photogrammetry? 
I think it was 400 cities. Is it 400? Yeah, I was wondering if... And that was from the Xbox uh, posts on the Xbox blog. So, um, yeah, it's... We're not there yet. And even with certain photogrammetries, well, how far do you go? You know, how wide? And where do you take pictures? You know, you can't just take absolutely everything around. Your photogrammetry will probably be limited to where there is, you know, maybe the, the, the city center uh, or where the higher and bigger buildings are or where there's very interesting and complex uh, buildings. Uh, everything that's been missing so far, um, even like the French Stadium in Paris, all this stuff in London, uh, New York, uh, Washington, there's just those few little things that are always missing here and there. Um, but those are just buildings that just need to be modeled. And I don't think that's a really big deal. And because it's just hard work that needs to be done from developers. And this is funny because you just answered to, to Westerland Radio about this, about Orbex. That's the thing. They just need to actually get yeah. the buildings manually made because, well, it's, from looking at Niagara Falls, for example, you see there's always those little special cases where uh, it doesn't look right because it's one of those exceptions to the normal rule that would apply everywhere else. The buildings are kind of the same thing, you know, with with that kind of data. So it's hard for for an algorithm to, to just create a building from a few lower resolution areas or, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to, for them to, to create this. So yeah, they just need to get teams on it. And yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll see this thing mature. Uh, I'm, I'm not too worried about this again. It's just something that will take a bit of time to get it done. We haven't really discussed the weather yet today. And there's a lot of videos that some of the most amazing parts of these videos while they're showing you the plane and the scenery and the dynamics and all that, it really is the weather that takes the whole thing up a notch. Um, in the Kenderis video on uh, bush flying in Area 51, that's why I brought it up. He was flying, you know, he was talking about the X Cub in the beginning. You know, the wheel, the tail wheel physics is mainly what he was saying needs a little bit of work. But one of the things he mentioned on the weather, which was really cool, because he's out over the desert. He's from Namibia, so he spent a lot of time in his life flying in deserts, and he discussed the inversion layer that was visible. And his exact words were, it looks and feels like a crispy desert morning, this scene that he saw. Layers of blue and distance. Compared to real flying and visuals, it comes pretty freaking close. And in that view of the mountain range there, it, it did look amazing. And it, it looked so real, and I've noticed a lot of times that the draw distance is unbelievable. Have you noticed how far the draw distance is? And yet those mountains are pretty well detailed in the distance, like in Alaska and, yep. and some of these areas. Yeah, there's a part of Alaska where the Brooks Range is way off in the distance. I, I've been there in real life. And you're leaving from Anchorage, beautiful mountains all around Anchorage. But you come to a point where everything becomes almost like a flat I don't want to say swamp, but it's this kind of marshy, extended flat plain. And then suddenly there's Denali. And then beyond Denali, you have another stretch of it. And then the Brooks Range, it comes into view. But the way that they do the extreme distance with the mountains, I've never seen anything like it before. Yeah, it's, even the cloud volumetrics can go up to 600 kilometers away from, from your current position in the plane. 
So yes, it's pretty big. And you can also have your camera move around, you know, manually. So you can technically go away from the plane and, and go somewhere else. Right. You don't have to be stuck to yeah, the, the live. The live pause is amazing. Yeah. Somebody said that you could take the live pause. The world and everything else is going on around you while your plane is frozen, but time is not frozen. And one guy did a very short clip where he, he went and did an orbit of the Earth at, I don't know how, I don't know what altitude that was. I don't know what the max altitude, but I think he was at the max altitude. And just with the live pause, he literally went around the entire Earth. So that drone camera brings me to a point that I was doing a little research. And there is a gentleman, uh, find his name very quickly, but he's a photographer. And he was, here's, here's, a, here's a way of showing how, his name is Eric Adams and his YouTube channel, Eric Adams 321. He said, could this be the greatest photography tool ever? Epic new Microsoft Flight Simulator can, put, can plan any shot on Earth. And he literally used the camera and the drone and some of the features like follow and lock focus modes, focus, zoom, speed, rotation, all the way to a hundredth of a percent. And he literally was using the simulator, or it's his intention because he's an alpha tester. He wants to use it to go to various locations around the Earth set up the weather, the clouds, the time, the camera angles, and he's literally using the drone feature or maybe even the live pause feature if he's flying. And he's using it to pre-set shots before he would ever go through the expense of, yeah, you know what, I'm actually going to fly to New Zealand. I'm going to aim for this time of year and this time of day in this certain location. And he's, it's, it seems like this simulator is going to be able to be used in ways that we haven't even imagined. And this is one of the, um, yeah, one of like the amazing a planning that tool. Yeah. That literally, we're here talking about flight simming and what plane, and we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And we've got people that are saying, yeah, you know what? This is a tool to see the Earth. And, as, yeah. you know, and of course, as Bing gets better and better, it's going to be more, have more and more fidelity. But how amazing is it that there's so much, I don't want to say hype, but there's so much attention being paid to this, this simulator that it's actually catching people's attention that might not be, certainly not a simmer, usually. And, you know, who would ever think that they would ever come to this? But because of the way that the Earth is done and the chance that it can provide, it's bringing in people from areas that we never expected to see. I agree with you on that. Yeah, it's crazy. And <laughs> even. You could probably just, in a sense, just use that for for planning your vacation ahead of time. You know, <laughs> just go, oh, exactly. Well, you know, I'm I'm going to this country. Let's look around, see what's interesting around, and oh well, we could visit that place and that place, and yeah, suddenly you're. How about for the people? How about for the people that can't travel for whatever reason, if they're housebound or their health precludes them from being able to go, or uh, and let's say they can't fly, yeah, they pandemic. can't fly the plane. Or, yes, or there's something that makes it so the world that we can't go anywhere. But literally, let's say they can't fly. The drone camera alone, once you get the, the simulator fired up, you literally could use that camera. It's like taking a tour of the world. There's so many things that can be done with it. And I'm sure there's a bunch that we can't even imagine right now, but it just yeah. shows all of the buzz that's, that's around it because the potential is so big that I don't think – we quite wrap all of our 
heads around just how many different branches this can Oh, we're going to have a lot, because this thing has a very in-depth weather engine. You know, the atmospheric yep. engine, then you get all the weather effects. You get your night engine, you get your volumetric clouds, and then your real-life weather. <laughs> you know, that has got a lot of stuff you can put together and say, well, you could kind of learn about weather in this simulator as well. And especially for those that are into VFR flying or those that are getting through VFR, you know, there's there's always part of your certification where you need to understand how, how your plane works in, in certain situations. And well you can practice all of those with with a weather engine. So there's there's a lot of stuff that can be done and we, yeah, you're right, we don't know what will be out of this due to the potential and uh I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that are going to look at the SDK uh, odd release and are just going to start playing with it, and we're going to see some really cool ideas come out of this. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully great add-ons as well, you know, new types of add-ons. Well, I I'd spoken to you last night. I haven't done a lot of payware, to be honest. And it's so weird. Some of the first things I thought of now is like, oh, I'm, now I'm going to get, you know, these PMDG planes have no idea how to fly any of them, but I'm sure I can learn. I have this idea that I'm just going to start over. I've said it in the past. I want to eliminate any bad habits I have. Um, I wasn't a very technical flyer. I just like to get up and look around. I love the views. I love the scenery. I love going to places that for a big chunk of my life, I never had the money or the time or the ability to go to these places. Some of them I have been to now as an adult, but this kind of, that's my kind of flying. There's other people that love the systems and, you know, the complexities and managing a long, a long haul flight. And I want to eventually work my way up to that. But it's odd for coming from somebody that wasn't a huge consumer of payware and add-ons like scenery, expensive scenery add-ons or tons of airports and any of that. The odd thing was because the simulator looks so fantastic, my brain immediately said, can you imagine what these add-ons are going to are going to be like when the base that you're coming from that you're working with is, is already this. mind blowing. I can't Im yeah, I can't imagine what I can't imagine what it's going to be like. Yeah. And it's going to be worth it. There's a lot of people, oh, one plane $140. I mean, if it's your hobby and it's what you love, you don't really see the money in it because you love it. You know, some people are going to have a Starbucks five times a week every week of every month. And when you tally that up, it's hundreds and hundreds of dollars for coffee. Yeah, that's but a if lot you of like Starbucks. coffee, right? If you like Just drink coffee, drink all the coffee morning, you can. Exactly to keep yourself at once. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can walk on the don't plane. Do like the, the four no, don't do this. Don't worry, you, you won't be hurt at all. Just make sure no one watches. <laughs> yeah, you'll end up with a caffeine overdose or something. It's like drinking alone, except you're alone. Yeah. I um, it, I don't know. I just think the the quality level is going to be so amazing that I think, you know, some people were like saying, oh, I can't really afford, you know, the, if the add-on is too expensive. or They don't understand. The teams are going to be much smaller. It's a, you know, I hate the word niche product. It's kind of annoying. But well, is it, it going to be a smaller... niche product anymore? 
Because yeah, exactly. you told us, you know, exactly. like before you were really not into that kind of stuff. So you were not going to really spend money on it. Now you're at the point right. where money for you might actually be the thing to spend, you know, empty exactly. your wallet in add-ons and just <laughs> go for it. Kind of, you know, see what can come up out of this. Mm. Um, and there's also just, I think, a bigger reach, so therefore a bigger market. So it's going to be even more interesting to see what other types of add-ons are going to come up as a result of, well, this is more gamer-oriented, this is more sim-oriented. And we might see those two categories become, you know, more prominent as the sim grows up. Um, and we're going to see, you know, through through time, if we're going to start seeing gamers being converted to simmers, or are we just going to yeah, see I'm gamers continue being yeah. gamers? but still using the simulator for their own purposes and just, you know, having the fun they want to have with the simulator. And as a result, you know, what kind of add-ons can come out of this? Because then suddenly, it's not just a flight simulator. Or, you know, some people are going to say, well, I want to I want to drive a truck. And I'm sure someone's going to have vehicles where you can just drive on the road. Yep. But that's not going to be amazing straight out of the box. No. And it's not the intent no. as well. But uh, yeah, we're, we're going to see some very fun and diverse uh, new add-ons that we wouldn't have seen uh, with... Yeah, in the, in the end, we want a yeah. world we want a world simulator, right? After all, <laughs> all that well, that's going to be an expensive one. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, there's, yeah, there's been a lot of people dreaming about, you know, well, what if I'm just in this one game, you know, it's, it's a truck simulator, and in one-on-one, I just take a plane... I go to the station where I land, and I take a submarine, and I go to this place where then I can start a submarine. On ship. Sounds legit. Sounds legit. I, I, yeah, I want I want to do the ship container. I want all the ship, the, you know, the ship containers, and I want to work the dock and unload them. I want to load City Skyline. Load them onto the truck, and then I want to drive the truck across the United, you know, all across the Trans Canadian Highway there, and yeah, God. Yeah, you, know, you never know though. This is fun. not coming for the next gonna... five to ten years at least, bare nah. minimum. Uh, that's nah. that's why yeah, I used to have sure. one game focused on one thing, so you can go full at it. Right. Um, and I don't actually don't even know if it's ever really going to happen, because if you want something to be good enough for people to enjoy it, it has to be detailed enough. But if you have all yeah. those different mechanics and dynamics for each different type of vehicle that you go through or different simulations that you go through, then at some point, you know, you're, you're just going to be maxed by how much software and hardware yeah, you can hardware, have running yeah. at the same time. And we could dream. some people will say, well, later we'll have better hardware. So we'll be able to do even more. <laughs> well, we could, we could say well, the, the same irony... about, we could say the same about what the happened irony... in the past, right? How essentially you had lower hardware, but even today, we, we're just adding a tiny bit more extra realism to what we have. But the new hardware is not allowing us to go necessarily much further. Further. Yeah. That's when, like, when you were on, like, FS98. I remember because I, I was like, oh, I like, to, I like to fly GA. I like to fly lower and slow and look around. And we all know what the past, you know, versions looked like. But at the time, it was amazing. At the time, and I remember saying, oh, what's it going to take? You know, I really want to be able – I want the scenery to be better. I want to be able to recognize, which I never dreamt would happen. I want to look down. I want to be able to recognize where I'm flying. 
I want to be able to use the real the roads and actually get where I'm going and know what I'm doing. Basically, I want VFR flying. And they just said, oh, it's going to require back then, you know, bigger and bigger and and bigger hard drives. And I just thought to myself, wow, and I, I can't remember. Oh, 98 would have been. I think I had a 1.6 gigabyte hard drive at the time. It was considered huge. And look at what we're talking about today. We're laughing. We're laughing about the two petabytes, which is still way into the future of having that kind of storage. But how long? <laughs> yeah, it's. But in those years, in that you know 20-ish year gap, they've gone from that 1.6 to 14. What's the largest commercial hard drive that you can? Get? I mean, I know that you could you know go out of your way to get some kind of server. Well, yeah, what you can like put them together. 14, gigab- 14 terabytes or something? Yeah, I would say that. I think there's some 28, but not really sure about that. And, and anyways, you can put them into any kind of RAID that you want, and you'll have, you know, they'll just be connected together yeah. in one partition. So, yeah, you can always have as big as you want. Uh, and then yeah, you can do backup on, uh, on magnetic tapes if you even want. Actually, that's a technology that still exists. If you believe it or not, that's very useful for archiving, uh, especially for large amounts of data, because the thing is very cheap. It's some of those things that, what, well, for the consumer market, What was the technology in the obsolete. black boxes? What was the technology in the black boxes? Wasn't it magnetic tape? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, in the day in the 70s, yeah. You, you want something that is less likely to fail as well, so you're going to use technologies that you know are robust because they have... You know, already been developed to the point where anyone can manufacture those and and be able to sell them really cheap. So yeah, but and afterwards, of course, a black box is is a little more than just a little magnetic recorder. No. Uh, yeah, for sure. It needs a little just more strength. That little, that little, uh, some of the older episodes of the air crash investigation, they're showing the black box and they're pulling that that actual physical tape out. I'm yeah, thinking, oh, that kind of sounds like what you're talking about. Well, that would that would be easier to resist, uh, like you know, water yeah. and all that stuff. It's yeah. yeah, not so great on fire, but water. It's all about keeping the data more than anything. Speaking of failures, um, no, go ahead. No, no, go for it. Some of the observations that I noticed in some of the um, videos, I took note that um, one of the failure menus that I could see, you had a choice to enable something or arm it. Um, they had oil system failures, oil leaks, fuel pump, engine. I'm trying to go through and see if all the notes that I took on that, but it was interesting to see how in depth those failure those failure menus were going into. And I was like, well, it does show a lot of. I didn't see an option, let's say, to just have failures period, and and then let the sim decide through the life of your flying, which I've been hoping for, but I have a feeling that will be, that'll end up having to be some kind of third party. But it did have a lot, a lot of failures. It was unbelievable. It's kind of like the assistance menu. I was shocked by both of them. Because when we hear about the assistances, it was, I think it was on the same, same area of the game. They said something like 33 different assists. I didn't have a chance to get the total number of the failures, but there were a lot of them. I don't know if there's more than the 33 for the assistance, but again, the customization and the way that you can yeah play with all those the experience yeah that you want it's like 
And who knows, these new people are going to come in. Maybe they, again, we said before, maybe they want a game. They're expecting a game. Some of them I know we're going to see, well, what are you supposed to do? Okay, I'm there. I took off, but what's the object? So these people clearly don't yet get the simming frame of mind. They've come from a gaming environment. Like I said, the challenges and the events that oh, they're yeah. going to have, that'll help a little bit because admissions, it'll kind of be like, well, what do I do? Well, okay, load this, do this, check this. <laughs> well, they may learn that they like it. It may feel know? a bit like a self-assessment, <laughs> and I hope they don't judge themselves too much. Yeah, I can't imagine the first Kershevel landing challenge. I oh, I don't know what the highest number is that you can have when you smack into the runway, but I have a feeling if they do a reverse chart of the worst landings, <laughs> I think I'm going to be closer to that one than I am going to be to the zero uh, FPM. Looks like a lot of fun, though. They showed, uh, they showed somebody uh, giving an example. I wonder if I can paste the picture in. I grabbed a couple of pictures. One of them was pretty unique. Let me see if I can grab this and and put this into the in the event text chat down there. Yeah, yeah, it just kind of shows you a little bit of the uh, little bit of the Kershavel challenge and like at what point, at what speed, and what altitude. So it's just showing you that curve if you look everybody in. Yeah, so it's text. showing you from your yeah. departing point. You know what your yeah. speed should be, as well as where your your glide path should be uh, to land at the airport. Yeah, so that's kind of like the thing another, you see when you're loading the challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Another neat one was the bush trips that they had. I didn't realize when they mentioned them. I don't know why. At first, I thought the bush trips there was 25 of them, but one of the videos got a little bit more in depth. There are 25 legs in one of them, and it is something like 856 nautical miles. It takes nine and a half hours to complete. It's the Breckenridge to Mariposa Yosemite bush trip. So, and I think if I remember right, they have a lot of the assist turned off deliberately. So it's a bit of a challenge. You have to, it's gonna give you limited uh, descriptions and literally you're gonna have to use your VFR skills uh, to find your way. You're not gonna be able to use the GPS and a lot of the things that would assist you in being able to reach your destination, you're just going to have a few clues and you're going to have to suss them out by looking out the plane. So that's going to be a bit of a challenge. I didn't realize they were that involved, which makes it even more, more, yeah, more fun to me. Yeah. Yeah, more fun. And Bigger challenges. Yeah, over and done with. Oh, I've done it 15 minutes. Let's, you know, on to the next one. This one's nine and a half hours. So. Oh, man. They clearly, yeah. and I, of course, in the updates, there's going to be more and more of these. So it's going to be, it'll help all of these things, the third-party add-ons, the freeware that's going to be coming, uh, the events, the missions, the challenges, all of these things, they're just going to keep the simulator alive. We're going to be getting the world updates so that people that may have a beef with a certain part of the world you know, they're going to be getting updated. So all of this is going to be... Or even exploring thingy. new regions, right? Exactly. Exactly. I think one of their intentions, if you look at some of the places they've chosen for these events and these bush trips, and I think they're going to try to steer us to places that aren't commonly... They haven't been discovered. Of course, for the people that are from there, they're going to be like, well, it took you so long. <laughs> but I think yeah. this is also the first time that when you fly over 
Namibia, it's going to look pretty cool. It's not just going to look like one gigantic paper bag with a rock thrown in every 200 miles. To, you know, yeah. And yeah, one yeah, half-dead tree. You need you know, that one default tree. And, yeah, the one that feels out of context. The one that you crash into. The, the one, yeah, the one that kills you in the 10,000 square miles of nothing. And, oh, yeah, I hit the tree and died. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think they're going to try to steer us, which I think is a great thing. I can't wait. Because there's so many places that, that you never even consider discovering. My, my nickname there, I know all the, I don't know them all. I love islands. So I would just scour a world map as a kid. I'd yeah. ignore all of Russia or all of most of Canada. And I'd be picking these little rocks in the middle of nowhere and telling my mom, oh, I want to go there. I want to see what's there. And she's like, what on earth in the middle of the Atlantic? They're like St. Helena. He said, point that out when I was a little kid. I want to go there. I want to see what's there. But it's going to be bizarre for the first time. The, and, and the potential is there no matter what we see on the 18th. The potential, which Orbix will fill in for sure, and other scenery, scenery people will fill in. But Bing, Bing will also fill it in over time, the potential to pick out that obscure rock, you know, in the middle of nowhere, and you're going to go to it, and it's actually going to look at least somewhat like what it would look if you could go there in real life. So I think that potential and, this, and them doing these events and these challenges, they're going to steer people to places they've never been before. And that's just going to be an amazing, fun, educational yeah. thing. It's like you're learning something while you're having so much fun. I can't wait. And it's also a great metric, right? Because the, that way they can see the participation rate. They can see the kind of people that are on this. They can kind of understand, you know, did people prefer this or that? And, right. and from it's there, working. you can interpolate a lot of information. Um, yep. And that way, you know, you can kind of understand or maybe have a clue on, you know, how well you have to adjust yourself moving forward on, on certain developments. And then, of course, once DLCs come out, and then they bring other contents to the platform, including things like helicopters, then, yeah, yeah. you're going to see even more. So these things, I hope they're not going to make it too much in your face. Like, for example, you know, if they do an event per week or something like this, uh, yeah. then they have one yeah. event that's helicopter only, you know? If they have that kind of stuff, then that would kind of throw it in your face, be like, well, you need the DLC for this to happen. Ah, uh, yeah, um, yeah, I hope they don't do that. Kind of that would be something to... that would kind of ruin it yeah. a bit. I hope yeah. they don't, and from the vibe they've given us so far, I don't think they yeah, would. I don't think so. Not but, you know, there's always this little fear in your yep. mind that they would still try to push you to, you know, at the end, they're, they're trying to get money yeah. out of this. And while there's trying a lot to of chatter. Us, yeah. From the old days that kind of hints back to that, oh, everything's got an ulterior motive. They're just trying to X, Y, and Z. And it's like, whether it was true or not, they certainly are aware of the whisperings in the background. They're aware yeah. of the whisperings about the gamey, arcadey, oh, they're just aiming for the Xbox. They're going to throw us off like an old shoe. And, oh, they're just trying to milk us for money and their products are going to be kind of crappy and we're going to spend $10,000 to make this thing look good. I think they've been listening to that all these years that they've been developing. And I think they've made a concerted effort to say, yeah, we want to make money. I don't. There's no crime in making money. 
And I, who knows? We don't even know what the pricing is going to be like. Maybe they've made some kind of deal. Maybe it's going to be a little bit certain ones that in the past we thought, oh, it's going to be $150. Maybe it's 100 100 still a lot for a lot of people. Yeah. But may, we, we don't know what the pricing is going to be like. But I have a feeling because of the way they're going after new people to bring them in and, and the customization, the extent that they've gone through to make this such a customized experience for everybody, I can't imagine that they would spend all that time doing that and then turn everybody off by saying, oh, if you want to, you know, if you want to fly the Cessna, you have to put your debit card in because you got to pay for the fuel. I mean, they're not going to, they're not going to go to the <laughs> point where, yet. don't worry. <laughs> no, you got to, exactly. So I think, I think they're aware. Well, they, they what, are, right? Because in a sense, it's, they already know it's a long-term project. Therefore, they know they're going to get more money in the long term. The they know this, yeah, they can't just get all the money the short term. And that's right, usually then, what a big platform yeah. is. When you have a big platform, you know, you can kind of pace yourself out and ask little by little. So you're not like EA essentially having all microtransactions where you buy the right. game, but technically they could have given away the game for free because you still have to pay for everything in it. Um, so it, at least we're not in that thing. We're not, everything is its own thing. Imagine they would say, well, 10 bucks for each plane instead of just giving you, you know, standard deluxe and premium deluxe. Like, imagine how bad that would have been. So because they've already been developing for so long, they already know what their, you know, what their expectations was at first. They set those and because it's a big, long project, I'm pretty sure they would, you know, they would do the same with the revenue in a sense, you know, keep it long term. And the goal is always to create a platform so then you can have your add-on developers and, and have your your little share in there as well. So their, their goal is to keep this as successful and as long as possible. So they're not going to throw you with the DLC that's just as much as the game, at least I hope not. But if they're trying to reach such a diverse range as gamers and simmers and Xbox players and, and all of this together... If they're really nice, then you could see something like, uh, well, you know, let's not have everything crazy expensive. Let's keep things very affordable, and then we'll probably get more uh, money in the long term. And of course, on well, top of building, the add-ons. They're trying to build trust. They're trying, yeah. the, the trust thing is, for the, for the hardcore simmers and for those with the long memories, of course, and they're the ones that are the, the actual of the community, they really seem to be aware that they have to do something to ensure their upstandingness, so to speak. Yeah. That their motives are 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 not nefarious. Their motives are not, like you said, get in, get out, get as much as you can, split, take off. Again, the MS, the PTSD from from flight. Um, it just, I, I can't see it happening. If anything, I could see some things being a little bit more affordable just because they need to introduce these new people. Let's face it, some people would be shocked if there was a plane that was 150 bucks. If you're completely new to the sim, you're like, how much? They don't understand the time and the complexity and the work that it took to make it. Yeah, it's, because it's not a linear chances game are they have it's, it's, right. it's a complete sandbox-like experience. But if you look at it in the terms of a hobby, and if this is your hobby, or if it's going to become your hobby, look at ham radio. 
how much can you spend on a radio? For some of us, you know, you're thinking, oh, it's just a radio, dude. AM, it's FM, it's, you know, it's shortwave. I mean, they're spending thousands of dollars on ham radio equipment and, and antennas and, and fancy mics and listening devices and all. But if that's your hobby, don't knock yourself down and don't have to turn around unless somebody else is paying for it. Don't defend your hobby. Yeah. Because a lot of people that demand a defense of your hobby, they're not giving you any defense of theirs. So if somebody's pointing the finger, oh, you spend $150 on a on a a fake plane, and you're like, oh, you spent $1,000 on your 700th pair of shoes? You bought your 57th purse for $950? Yeah, I mean, we so all have a hobby, we, and I mean, we all money have, is kind yeah, of adults. Right, so. Yeah, it's, 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 it's more of a personal saying, you know, people manage exactly. their money kind of the way they, they want to. Exactly. Right. That's the kind of stuff. The pricing model is going to be what it is. I think it's going to be a little more reasonable. Maybe I'm nuts. But I – and who knows what the motive is if it is more reasonable. Some will say, oh, they're just doing that to lure you in in the beginning. And then keep you stuck on a platform. Yeah. Oh, man. Maybe. I I don't think so. Maybe you could say, you know what? Well, I mean, as soon as the SDK is freely available, then it's not really a closed ecosystem. Right. It's not like a, a console where essentially you can only play, you know, the console games and you're, you only have, you know, what's available for that console. Epic Snake uh, asked a paid. question. I think I have the answer. Yeah. Uh, he said, is slew mode in the game? Uh, I believe so. Isn't, um, what, I wonder Ooh, if you Rise, can't go space shuttle status. I wonder if Rise Pause could be, could be considered kind slew. of slew mode. Well, you're not you really go moving. over the world. Uh, that's right. The plane... Well, wait a minute. I don't know. In that one video, the plane moved. A Cessna did an orbit of the Earth. Maybe that wasn't in live pause. I don't know. They have so many camera iterations, and I've heard in some of them it's so unbelievably customizable that I can't really wrap my head around because, you know, FSX only had so many. And like I keep saying, I never really doctored up FSX. I just used what, what I got on that day 15 years later. Yeah. But um, I don't know. There's a... That could be interesting. But flu mode, I would imagine it's been in every single version since what, like? Oh man, a FF2 long time. Three... Yeah, ages. It's been so... for a good bit. Yeah, I mean, it is a feature that has helped people who yeah. didn't have the luxury of a controller, a joystick, a stick, anything. You know, patience. To... Patience to fly where you wanted. <laughs> that was yeah, my problem. That's, like, oh, that's the dude. kind of stuff where, you know, it I could also destroy the like, realism. I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to take 15. Oh, of course it does. So, of course it does. But sometimes, you know, you wanted to yeah. kind of get there. That's the, impa- that's the impatient gamer kid. I just want to get there. I'm going to wait yeah. 15 hours to see Australia. Let's hit slew mode. Or the answer, other dreaded uh, one. I want to answer another question from uh, Jobed here. Go ahead. Uh, he's asked two, actually, so I guess we could just answer both. Um, asking the first one if there is any speculation on support for custom panels, like pulling radio info from the sim for a DIY radio panel. And then the second one being, what are our opinions on the sim's potential as a training tool? Um, yeah, that's a pretty interesting. Uh, the first one, custom panels, yes. 
just just yes. Um, if you go to episode four of the feature discovery series on cockpits with uh, Martial Bossard, the lead software engineer, they actually show you um, first of all their peripheral and and all the, the, the stuff they've done in there. But they have made actually a full cockpit uh, themselves. They've made it all um, so they could understand and play with the sim and, and see what it would be like from a, a perspective of someone who's doing DIY. So uh, yes, you would expect that kind of stuff to happen. SimConnect also is still there. You also have legacy supports with other systems. So you should still be fine. Uh, you will be able to pull that info for sure. Um, then the opinion on the training tool, that is interesting. Uh, because in the past, most of the simulators, some of the like things like smaller level things, so like uh, flight schools, where you learn, you get your PPL and, and you get your different ratings, then, well, you could have seen X-Plane uh, or even P3D in there um, because they have commercial licenses. Uh, if you, so you might be able to see that if, if the software becomes rated, right? So if they go through, they check and they make sure that, you know, you're actually getting a proper simulation, uh, which Microsoft could totally do, right? Then you have the higher end where you go into the training uh, simulation. So that would be you get your airline pilot in, you put it in the full-blown simulator, and that motion simulator will absolutely reproduce everything. We'll have the same parts as well. Uh, everything's as the real plane. And there they usually don't use a third-party simulator. All they would do is... You know, they would take the basics of maybe the the visuals, so the 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 engine, just to run the visuals, the graphics, and then everything else is still run uh, by themselves, by the data they got from their manufacturer for that simulator. And when they certify it, they know the code because they wrote it, and you know all all the partnerships between you know the the manufacturer of the plane and the manufacturer of the simulator understand their code and can update it easily instead of having to go through a third party mm -hmm. and then, you know it can get very complicated but uh for them you would probably just have the graphics engine so you we don't know that would be something that would be really cool to see uh if they ever do some some training with the simulator it is fairly realistic to the point where you know they've they've calculated different types of uh of friction models and, and all that stuff so it's really interesting uh, we just don't know if it's ever actually going to be used by the FAA and and all that stuff. So we'll see for that. Faro, I'm seeing you. Uh, <laughs> you also wanted to I get insights away. on the honeycomb stuff. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I had a question there. Um, have we talked about honeycomb stuff yet? And I was just like, coming from the dreaded, horrible keyboard all my life, never used a joystick. I never even used a mouse as the yoke. I just use a mouse to look around. I literally am flying all of these years. Well, flying's okay. It's the landing part that wasn't okay. With the keyboard or the arrow keys, shift, whatever, for the view and all that. So it was such a shock when the honeycomb came. It's hard if you hear my story of how I flew before. You say, well, dude, anything other than a keyboard to you is going to seem fantastic. But the quality of the build 
it just seems substantial. It doesn't seem like something's going to snap off. Yeah. I mean, of course, you're banging stuff around and dropping it. That's one thing. I think it could take a pretty good drop. The plastic is very, very solid. The rubberized. Um, yeah, that gives it a really premium is, feeling. Yeah. It does. And the shaft is steel. The movement is by a bungee. It's not like specifically just greased and, and, and sliding in this, ugh, like some of the other ones. It's, they get sticky and you got to open it up and redo the grease. I was like, I don't want any part of that. So the build quality and the feel, it, to me, it's amazing. And it, and it makes flying so much more enjoyable. Obviously, if you're using a keyboard, it's nothing but a misery. Um, I think I'm going to incorporate a kind of track IR. I don't know what I'm going to do with the hat switch after that. I'll assign it to something else. Because the view is still, I'd rather just move my head. But they have so many assignable buttons on there. I mean, it's very customizable. And I love it. I mean, I got it slightly less than the suggested price. I think I got it for like two nineteen. 99, it was on a pre-order, which they didn't, as far as I know, do that on the pre-order of the throttles. I pre-ordered the Bravos, I think, to come out in October. But I don't know if you know anything more about, about it, Cookie, but I'm super happy with mine. No, I think you, you pretty much mentioned it, you know. Uh, this thing is, is great. It's at a really affordable price for the quality that you're getting, and it, it just, it's great. I, I really, I actually think that's a company that, from once, is actually pushing forward, and not just, you know, sitting out on a design and then, you know, selling it, keeping the price the exact same. They're trying to push it forward and kind of yeah. wake up the market, and hopefully that will incline other companies to go higher quality as well and maybe offer more products because now we're getting well, he a was much with... wider market. Right now you're getting the gamers, with, you're getting uh... the Xbox. I think he was with SciTech. Either he was with SciTech or he was with Logitech when Logitech took over. But he said, I want to go, I want more quality, I want more durability. And he, he, he left from there knowing and, and seeing what product they presented. And for the time, I don't know why I hesitated. All the years you had, I think, is it, C, is it CH? Is the other yoke? It's, not, it's a long time ago. I'm trying yeah, to remember. Yeah, you mentioned that before. That was, yeah, you mentioned CH. Yeah, I think it was time. CH was first about 120 bucks back in the day, way back, like the late 90s, early 2000s. A lot of money then. And I kind of hesitated. I wasn't sure because it was a lot of plastic. Then you saw the SciTech come out, and it looked amazing. And I was hesitating because it was like maybe 170 And all these years, I just kind of vacillated back and forth. Then you'd hear... I'd hear a review, and in the beginning, of course, which I don't know if Honeycomb went through this, but SciTech had a, a bit of a, a problem in the beginning. Like maybe every one out of ten, it had an issue with the um, the yoke was sticking. When you were pulling on the on the yoke, the the shaft it was kind of sticking, and so you get this imprecise kind of movement, and that had, that caused me to kind of pause in the beginning. I was like, wow, do I want to spend the money? And then what if I get one of those 10 or whatever? And yeah, Logitech really. took over and I would, yeah, so I, I just waited and waited and waited. But when I saw the honeycomb and I saw what it was, what it was made of, it's he, a big he really difference. did a, yeah, he went into a great job of going in and saying, where you might have a problem with this, we've chosen, there's plastic, this is steel. That's the grease and a plastic shaft, ours is metal with bungee. And he was just going through everything, and it gave me the confidence 
And I'm really glad that somebody finally decided, you know what, we're not going to try to cut corners. We are going to try to do it as economically as we can, but we're not going to cut corners to make an inferior, a blatantly inferior product just to have something new. Kind of like what Jörg said, why would we do another simulator if you don't really have anything new add to it? And this guy, yeah, yeah, branched out because they had something new to do. And the quality of it is there's no comparison to any of the yoke underneath it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, so, guys, if you want to ask a few other questions, uh, feel free to send them in event text. Uh, we will uh, go for still a little more, but uh, we won't be going for another hour or two. Uh, we said this one will be a little shorter than uh, than the usual talk. So uh, we'll yeah, try not, to... Not four or five hours this time. <laughs> yeah, then we'll go back to the usual scheduling on uh, on Thursdays. Uh, we'll go back to normal afterwards. I'm looking to see. Uh, got some cookie jokes in there. Did you see them? Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, at least there's not the wings in there. That's. I would have been a little more scared with that. <laughs> True. Uh, let's see, going on, moving on, moving on. I'm looking here. I made a ton of notes for everybody, but it's just there's so much stuff. It's yeah. Frugal Sim. He's a he's a very well known YouTuber, and uh, he just had his was more of a demonstration flight, and he had a few. Matter of fact, he is the one that said um, it seemed like the theory was that the longer you kept a particular view or something, the more details popped in. That's actually the video uh, Microsoft Microsoft Flight Simulator hands on his video. Um, that was, I'll try to put that in here now. Uh, that was the one where he made that observation, which was really cool. Um, he said the aircraft is high fidelity. It flies by the numbers. And he's talking about the Cessna, and it matched the Cessna's published details. Uh, he liked the cockpit, how it moved kind of subtly with the environment, that it's like basically saying it doesn't look like it's flying on rails. Uh, so when are we getting hot air balloons? I hope we get them right away. If we don't get them as a, a funny Easter egg, by the way, if anybody sees any weird typing, my cat is about to walk all over my keyboard. So if you see any... I'll Let it happen. <laughs> I'm trying to keep her from walking, but... The cat must insert its dominance. Yeah. She'll scratch my face off, believe me, if I don't let her. Good. So, uh, I, want the, I want the hot air balloons because it would just be funny. Not because, you know, oh, you just want to play a game. I think it would be hilarious. I hope it's not going to be too deadly. (laughs) Maybe they won't let it go 400 knots this time. Maybe only 200? I think it'd be fine. It's going to be an add-on. I think so. Somebody will do a free add-on for sure, just as a joke. And I'm curious what Easter eggs we're going to find. I am terrible at finding them. Totally suck. I mean, no imagination. It's like, well, let's fly over... Las Vegas on the 4th of July, and let's see if there's fireworks. Duh. Of course there was. I mean, um, Easter eggs are the kind of thing that it's more fun if you kind of try to find a few and then... Stumble on them, yeah. You know, it's it's yeah. kind of like that kind of stuff where it makes you explore maybe a bit. I don't know how many we're going to have, or it's going to be filled, or if we're only going to have a few, but, you know, it's it will be interesting to see what comes up this time, because FSX had some pretty creative ones. Yeah, the one for Charles Lindbergh, which I don't know why I never thought about it. But uh, apparently in Charles Lindbergh's house in FSX, and forgive me, I cannot remember 
if he's from Kansas or not. I don't remember where he's from. I think maybe I'm thinking of Amelia Earhart in Kansas. But anyway, if you go to Charles Lindbergh's modeled house in FSX, there is a a plaque or a stone or something in his yard that pays tribute to him. I mean, I've, I've had the simulator for 15 years. I never thought about it. I never thought, you know, mm-hmm. never thought about it. I don't know. I don't know what the Easter eggs would be. I think it would be fun to stumble on them. I hope this time, who knows, maybe they'll do like a treasure hunt or something. Maybe they'll do an event that, that could be something. you to a few of them. Yeah, maybe it steers you to a few of them. Um, geez, I'd love to fly over the Loch Ness and actually see something. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, you man. just look down out of, your, out of your, your cub and you're oh, like, oh, my, oh, my God, God. The water God. looks so nice. Like, oh, oh, what is this? <laughs> How about this would be fantastic. Today's multiplayer with Squirrel, I mentioned it before, in uh, British Columbia, the Hope area. Say you're flying along, you crash in one of those dense forests, and then you hear something. Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. Can you imagine? That would you're be fun. trying to figure out what's... <laughs> and with bush flying, you can go literally anywhere. You can land exactly. anywhere. So... Exactly. So you never know what you might find if you crash in the wrong place. Yeah, you might even visit... Maybe we uh... can find Amelia Earhart. Maybe they'll have an event. Go find her. I mean, they haven't been able to do it up to now. There's so many things they could do that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, that's true. Well, I think it'll be great, be. and they'll be able to kind of showcase different areas as well with the, the events yep. and kind of, you know, push people to go explore maybe the areas that they don't really go explore because the water wasn't that's, through our little yeah. comfort zone, so that'll be fun. Exactly, yeah. The yeah. only reason why I went to so many far-flung places, okay. like I said, because that map was the kid. Hey, how are you? you have a question? Anything, anything? I think it was just a hi. <laughs> I think I'm gonna say hi yeah, back. Hi. Thanks. Great. Thank you. Uh, let's see. Going on, I'll dig through and see if I can pluck out some more. Yeah, you got any things. other topic you want to go over? Yeah. In flight dynamics, Obsidian Ant uh, was talking about plane crashes and damage, wind, rain, extreme camera. Here's a really cool one. I had no idea. Did you guys realize that the winds? can be set up to as high as 150 miles per hour. Which, if it's, I think, six more miles per hour, being in Florida, 156 miles an hour is a Category 5 hurricane wind speed. So basically what they're saying is you could literally be probably in those. Yeah. I feel yeah, bad you for could whoever say, oh, I want a, I want a high cat. I want a high cat 4 and I'm going to take off from Key West. You're probably not going to take off. You may get blown. Oh, you'll be taking you know, off. The ocean, but, but going backwards. <laughs> yeah, upside down, backwards, and into a building. Um, it's just. Let's see. Ramina says, "So, are we going to be able to get our own liveries?" I think oh, so. Yeah. I'm not sure. If, yeah, yeah. I mean, people are going to create them. Free. Liveries. And maybe there'll be a. No issues. Pack. Yeah, yeah. All you have to do is, is you'll just get your 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 livery creations and. I mean, you just get the, the Photoshop file or, or whatever they're going to give it. You know, you get your livery pack and boom, you start creating. And, um, well, that's, that's something that Microsoft kind of knows. There's a lot lot of people who do liveries. So, yeah, definitely they'll be in there. And uh, it should actually be fairly easy to implement as well. Uh, something else I've noticed so far. First of all, we had a lot of people that, that are asking or making a comment about the Icon A5. Oh, it's a toy for, you know, rich, spoiled, rotten 
businessmen or whatever. But wow, so the image is already tainted. <laughs> yeah, it is because of the few they have the you know, the baseball player that killed him. You just see it. Yeah, it's a plane that of was so to speak. Yeah, in so many years there's, of there's flying, there's been so little crashes. It's it's barely like yeah. no. <laughs> but the thing, the, the main thing is what I've noticed is a lot of these serious flight simmers who are on YouTube. Yeah. Of all of the ones in the front, they absolutely love it. Oh yeah. And I'm kind of shocked because I'm expecting, oh, you know, this this stigma that's that's hitting it, and they're like, God, it's so much fun. The one thing that I'm sure will come later on is uh, the wake physics right now when, when it's landed on water and it's moving along. It doesn't really have any, like, wake that's behind it. So... These are details that will be added. Yeah, yeah. They have a lot of stuff to work wow, on. Wow, now, now but, I think uh... the game's so unrealistic. I'm definitely not going to buy it now. <laughs> it's unflyable. It has no, it has no wake. Yeah, unflyable. Yeah. It's a broken game. Yep, <laughs> guys, just uh, cancel your pre-orders now while you still can. Um... Wow, but um, we know the crashing goes to a black screen. I, I don't know. I think the physics, of course, it's going to come. Of course, it is. I mean, they wouldn't have put it in there if they. And I'm sure there's going to be more than just that that one seaplane. Um, yeah. And let's see. I'm, I'm just going through the last bits here before we take a few questions and we can sign off. We had, um, if, if y'all don't know what the SDK is coming with the sim on the 18th, it won't be something that's lagging behind maybe it will become a little bit more in depth and you know as time goes by but for those wondering the sdk will be coming out with the sim uh they expect helicopters military jets and gliders as add-ons that won't be too long after the initial release i'm going through belgeo's video and he had a few observations oh another one of the failures that you could see in his video was fire. So that's going to be interesting. Uh, and when we talk about weather, he had wind gusts are dynamic. They change in strength and style over time. There was a, like a graph on the weather. Can you fly into a hurricane? Apparently, when Dorian was basically over Freeport last year, and it was a Cat 5, really bad, they actually said in one of their videos, which of course I can't recall right now, that they flew an aircraft into Dorian. They said that they were happy, I think, with basically the wind effect and, and the storm. They were not happy, let's say, with the, the construction of the eye wall, but they, they felt that that kind of needed some work. But obviously, it's such a unique, a unique uh, experience there that... They didn't, let's say, program that right out of the box. But yeah, they did fly into it. I'm curious if anybody, any of the testers tried to fly into um, Iskaius. That's how you say the name. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, Cookie, anything else? Not really. I mean, Bacon just asked if we're going to see the eye of the storm <laughs> when you fly above a hurricane. Technically, yes, you should. Uh, if the the weather formation, you know, follows... The clouds are going to be the, the good real stuff. It's going to be the same thing. So technically, you should be able to see it. Unless, of course, certain things don't match. But I don't see why. And from what they've explained from all the Discovery series and everything we've been able to see so far, there is absolutely no reason why we should not see it. Because, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that, with all everything we got so far, 
for us, it says yes. You remember I asked a question about clouds, and I said, in yeah. the past, you had the cloud layers set up like an FSX, but yeah. they were so – they were so – it's hard for, I have a hard time describing it, but they were so layered precisely that you'd be in them, and then suddenly you'd be out. There wouldn't be a speck. There was like no bleed over. There was no – nothing hanging yeah, down. Yeah, you could see a straight line. Or, yeah. yeah, kind of like a yeah, driveway, uh, you know, parking garage. It kind of still has it a tiny bit because you can still it see does, like I, a ceiling, but that's what a ceiling would look like. Well, yeah. So I noticed something in one of the menus – yeah, the, the the coverage was scattered. You could alter the coverage. You could alter the scattering, the altitude top and the altitude bottom. But the point that I was surprised is that you could change it to a hundredth of that value. So it's it's quite precise if you want to make it that way. So I have a feeling because of that that fine tuning that you can do. I would imagine that as people play around with it a little bit more, those layers can be distinct but less less sharply divided unless you want it that way i thought that was neat that would that would add a little bit to the way i think the sky usually looks not quite so flat and so perfect another yeah. funny one was you know how the airplanes look shiny and new like they've just come off the showroom floor i thought it was funny because a lot of them have fingerprints scratches or smudge marks on the on the the windshield are on the windows by the passenger or the pilot, yet the rest of the plane was absolutely sparkling spotless. So I was wondering if those marks are customizable. Can you remove them? Let's say you want to be able to see out your window, uh, you know, you're getting a view of London or something. You want to look down, but you've got all these smudge marks, and some of the planes have the, the, the wear marks to make it seem more realistic. I wonder if they're going to allow you to enhance them or remove them if you want to. Because it was funny that everything else looked so pristine, and they just threw in these little, these little bits. I did notice there's a ton of fingerprints on the passenger window of the Icon A5. Like, oh, look at that, dink. Oh, look at that, dink. Like somebody's just sitting there pointing there, the passenger pointing out everything that you're, you're flying over. To me, the, the, the Icon, it looks, like, it looks like fun. I know it's a rich... A rich kid's toy, but it would just be... Well, you know, it replaces the uh, the trike, the ultralight trike. So, yeah. yeah it, it's, there is no trike. It is nice. Yeah, there's no trike. <laughs> it's the, the only sad thing. But, yeah, definitely. It is... Uh, I that terrible. You can't fly one of those with a keyboard. It's absolutely... It's really it. hard. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> It was a reflection of sunlight. Oh, another one that I thought was unusual. I think it's in Belgeode or Ozsimmer. You could see the reflection of the sunlight off of the props back at you while you flew if you were flying away from the sun. The sun was setting. You were flying out. And all of a sudden, you've got this, this wash of light. I thought, wow, that's really, really, really cool. Yeah. Really interesting. No, I agree. There's a lot of great stuff that this can do. Yeah, can't wait. Eighteenth is just around the corner. I remember when it was six weeks, and now it's just a couple. Yeah, that's the great thing about it. We're so close now. We're just two weeks. Yeah, I have an exactly. official counter up in my. Uh... That's another thing. I had a few people ask that question. Is it I have being a calendar released next at to mid... my computer? 
Nice. Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, a lot of people are asking when exactly it's going to be released. Is it going to be released uh, at midnight? Yeah, it's a, it's a funny little speculation. People are trying to figure out yeah. what do they mean by midnight on the 18th. Is that midnight on the 18th Seattle? Is it midnight the 18th in it's kind of my the time zone? local time zone from what I understood. It's, so it's, means... it's a bit tricky because it really depends yeah. on where you are. But I'm on the, the eastern time zone. Yeah, so, me too. Right? We're eastern of in North America. And for me, it's it's midnight. You know, it's 12 a.m. Um, I think it is kind of... I don't know. There's There's been a lot of people, and there's actually been contradictory information. So there's, I don't know if some people were joking around by giving fake information or things like that. But uh, I, I for me, it feels like it's just a, you know, well, this is going to be the time, and it's just going to open to everyone at that exact time, depending on where you are. But, you know, like, or in another sense, they could also do it where everyone... At your time zone, at midnight, it opens. That yeah, way, that way, they can kind of keep the servers a little less busy than if everyone were to download at the same time. Yeah, it would like stagger like uh, how many people could be on it. That would be smart. so. You know, if each hour you have a new time zone, then you would still be able to control it out because then you spread it out over 24 hours. Logically, that would make sense. That's what I would do myself. Um, and then it's midnight, so people that need to sleep will not do it, and people that are fine keeping their, you know, themselves awake till midnight, and then, you know, downloading it then, and just going to bed afterwards, that also, you know, limits out. So they're, they're just doing it, so there's just less people at that exact moment clicking the button to, to put the strain on their servers. So... I mean, it is kind of smart in a sense. Hey, Cookie. Yep. Aren't you gonna be able to like download the game, but before the day, like have the game like full, like fully downloaded, like before the actual like time that comes out, or is it at like uh, whatever time the game comes out, you can download like the 150 yeah. gigabytes. Yeah, there's been a bit of conflicting information on that. Uh, yeah. But from what I understood with support, um, what they mentioned was. You can do it. It'll just be available a few days before launch, and yeah, that has happened. Well, that, that's that's the thing, right? You you can't really pre-order a game and download it straight away. I would be worried if that was the case, because then that means the game is somewhat ready mm -hmm. enough so that you can download it a week ahead, or maybe two weeks, or three weeks, or a month before it releases. And just have the game there sitting. That would mean, what are they doing during that month? And if it's pre-downloading, then well, you have to download something else again at launch, or then you'd have to get all those updates that download and download and download. That would not make sense. So they just wait at some point, and when they know at some, you know, where they get to a point where it's for like close enough to the release date where they can say, okay, our first commit is going to be this time. Now we we have our first release. The release candidate is now the actual first release, 1.0. We can look at the next versions afterwards, but 1.0, you know, will be set maybe a week before release. I don't know, or a few days before. Make sure it's stable enough. Then you guys will be able to download it. They'll send it uh, to their servers and they'll propagate it to 
you know, wherever it's going to be downloaded. And then from there, they will, uh, they'll just get it moving. Yeah. So, uh, I'm good. Anything? I have, a, I do have one observation that may be of interest and you're the techie guy. We can close out with this if you like. Sure. Belgeo found out, figured out a way to use his Oculus Rift as a track IR while using OpenTrack version 2.31 and Steam's virtual desktop. And he used it as what he termed a ghetto VR <laughs> hack. And um, it used WMR, Windows Media Mixed Reality. reality? Mixed yeah, reality. Mixed Reality. Yeah. And, um, he, he showed a demonstration in, let me see if I can grab this and drop it in there. But he did show a demonstration of how it worked, and it kind of was a workaround. So for those people that are really <laughs> That uh, must VR, have VR. Yeah, must have it. And they, and they don't have, they're not, you know, they're not going to buy the new HP in order to have it. And they're, you know, don't want to wait until it because their you know, headset becomes becomes uh, compatible he figured out a way so if you watch that video i think the first 30 or 40 minutes of the video is actually getting that set up and then he takes he takes a flight i mean it's obviously it's not perfect but it kind of worked because of the virtual desktop yeah the way that he used that it's quite unique so if there's anybody out there that... <laughs> <laughs> well i guess desperate measures yeah, exactly. But it's very creative, and if if it's working, that's it that's great, right? Because technically, Trek AR and VR are both the same principle. They just work a little differently. But at the end, yes, you can see, look around, and move around in the game. And uh, yeah, that's that's great. So the the fact that there is Trek AR right there makes it very easy to to do that work around. So yeah, that's really cool. Um, and yeah, of course, all the information that we're sharing in the event text will also be available in the description of the, of the podcast for those listening later on uh, through the online means. Um, I think that will conclude our, our podcast yeah. for today. I know it's a little shorter than usual, but uh, we kind of had to. <laughs> so usually yeah, we, we do it every bit. Thursday, not Tuesday. So uh, this was once in hopefully a lifetime. Uh, we'll try to keep uh, the schedule nice and tidy every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And, uh, yeah, do you want to add anything, Farayel? No, I'm good. I just want to thank everybody for coming. And we promise we'll figure out a name so it'll make it easier to... To share the information. You know. yeah. yeah, to share the information. Just call it something and, uh, simple like a Flight Simulator podcast. We'll find, We'll figure out a name. Don't worry. nice to be something creative. It'd be fun. But, uh, yeah, I'm glad everybody came, and I hope uh, you look out for us next time. And yeah, thank you for questions ready. And... Yeah, thanks for coming in. Thanks for the, the questions, and uh, thank you for being with us. It's, uh, it's great to have you guys. Okay. Have a great night, everybody. Yeah. Good night, everyone. Later. Good night.